thank you for tuning in to the Heavy Hole Podcast. I'm your host, Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Joining me, my special co-host, Dave Gladding. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Uh, good to have you back, Dave. You've, I know you've been busy. This time of year is very busy for the parents. You got the back to school, then you get whammied with Halloween, then before you know it, the holidays. Am I wrong? No, you're you're totally right. Those fucking kids are just... It's always something. They always need something. Oh, I want food. Take me out of the closet. <laughs> yeah, you gotta wait till like you gotta wait till the New Year because like you know New Year's is cute. You do the little like you drop the little ball in the living room and put the kids to bed around 10 p.m. You know, and then Valentine's yeah. Day and St. Patrick's Day they don't really need to know about too much. You know? Yet, yeah. So it's like yeah, but you just gotta get through that last half of the year, bro. Last quarter. Um, but Ian Cohn, shout to Ian Coney's trying to book him in for for a guest another co-host session. Um, he, he's a good guy. I'd like to meet him someday. Just getting, yeah. I gotta, I gotta have a, uh, I gotta like rent out the um, like a catering hall and have like a formal Christmas uh, banquet for all of my heavy hole podcast staff. It's <laughs> <laughs> like like eight like fucking sweaty metalheads just like yeah. sitting around. Drinking beer out of cans. Yeah, we'll we'll get one of my bands will play. <laughs> put you guys put put some guys to work. That um, sounds fucking great. Yeah, man. Uh, Justin <clears throat> Justin will catch the fish. Shout out to Justin Fishgood NY. If you want to uh, check out his handmade fishing um, apparel and fish fishing jigs, uh, bucktail jigs. Um, and shout out to Tom as always behind the scenes and all the co-hosts, man. But Dave, so Dave, it's been a while since we had you on here, man. How have things been? Um, metal wise, man, have you gone to any shows? Have you gotten any of your those those clever little toys you get those those uh, reissues and special bonuses, <laughs> things like you know, that? I, I've honestly I've not gone to any shows, but I've gotten like a shitload of music. I've gotten a lot of records and uh, CDs and stuff like that. And- uh, <clears throat> let me think. I got some regurgitate reissues from uh. I forget what label. One of one of those European didn't, labels. Didn't Grindfather do those? Am I wrong? I know Grindfather does yeah, a lot of those cult reissues. Maybe I'm yeah, wrong. He might have. I I think it's like on the tip of my tongue, All but right. I just can't. I can't like think of it off the top of my head. I've been seeing those around a lot, and there's a few that there's a few tapes he's put out that I can't find in the United States. Man, I'm I'm like always so close to pulling the plug. And paying the shipping, but um, but it's a lot. But uh, but yeah, I've seen those regurgitate reissues pop up myself because you got. The- I always get excited with the stuff that comes from Europe because, like, and I'll I'll try to jump on it as soon as possible because I'm always worried it's gonna they're gonna like run out of pressing, yeah. and then like I'll buy it and then three months later every distro in the United States has it and I'm huh. like, but you know, I don't want to wait. Yeah, I usually see them pop up, but they have limited quantities. You got to get it quick. Um, shout out to Gurgling Gore. Gurgling Gore gets limited quantities of a lot of cool shit, man. And I got um, good to know. I got hold on. I right here. I got uh, yeah. I, I placed the order two th- just to show you guys I'm out here, I'm not just talking shit. Um, I got the seeping protoplasm, um, exhale extinction cassette and i got the uh stenched gorging on mephitic rot cassette uh from head split records i ordered those um great uh great label head split records putting out a lot of cool death metal a lot of cool shit man um 
So yeah, I've been I've been trying to keep up as as it goes. Uh, and Dave, you got um, you got a cool recommendation. We got like a cool kind of upstate New York northeastern death metal thing going on with the recommendations, man. Um, but we also have an action packed episode. I caught up with. Uh, Dave, you know, this is kind of like the, the t- I remember like around the Biolich era, the early 2000s is when I was hanging out with you and your brother and uh, some of your circle a lot. Um, that's when we got to know each other. Someone else who was around a lot in that era that I remember, as I'll say in the interview, Aaron Nichols of Defeatist. Um, Dave, since I got you here, you remember Defeatist. Yeah, I love Defeatist. They were a great band. Aaron Nichols, uh, not just of Defeatist and Calabas and Nerve Alter Records, but we're going to break it down, man. Um, I guess with a wealth of experience. from the Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with none other than Aaron Nichols of Nerve Alter Records. Uh, and you may know him from not only his graphic design work, but his work as a musician in many bands that we're going to get into and break down right now. Um, but for the sake of brevity in this intro, I'm just going to say thank you very much for your time and welcome to Heavy Hole Podcast. Hey, Will. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. Um, and like I said, uh, I I always associate you with defeatist because that was uh, kind of like when I probably first met you and some of your friends and um, I was in Biolich at the time. But there's a lot going back now. Are here's here's my first question, just from the kind of research shot to metal archives. Um, are you originally from Rochester? I am uh, born and raised, grew up there. Okay, because, yeah, because there's a lot of bands. You've you've always uh, have you been like always been busy in extreme music, kind of since like high school era, or? Yeah, I'd say. I mean, you know, you always have those high school bands that didn't, you know, never really play shows or get anything done. But I would say like my first serious band is probably like nine, you know, eighty nine, ninety, something like that. Okay, I'm just saying that because Metal Arch, shout out to Metal Archives, they really got you. They got you all the way back. Yeah, they do. Um, but <laughs> but we'll get into all that. The typical heavy whole podcast question: Are you from a musical family? Anyone in your upbringing that steered you towards playing instruments or music or or anything of that nature? Yeah, I think I think for me that was always there. Like my old man always had a big record collection. Music was a big thing in our house. Like I knew uh, there wasn't a time I can remember where I didn't know how to drop a record on a turntable and take care of records and all that shit. Um, and then also too, I'm, I'm wicked old. So I grew up as uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, my parents were like into custom vans and they were in van clubs. Huh. And so I grew up in that environment of like two percenters and going to shows. So I've been, I've been actually seeing live shows for as long as I can remember. And then music was a big part of that whole scene too. So I grew up on, whatever the whatever the music of the day was hard rock wise you know van halen acdc all that shit so music was always there it was never it was never not there okay could you break down for me and the listeners about van culture and and what what are two percenters uh two percenters it's it's difficult i've looked it up it's difficult to 
to get an origin on it, but if it's similar to like bikers, one percent, one percent are bikers. Uh, but I think I think the joke's always been uh with you know without the without the meth. Um <laughs> but they're just you know people people that were, were were van enthusiasts and uh you know customized their vans like you would see in the in the 70s with uh you know crazy pinstriping or like murals in the vans and you know you would have a you would have a club like you would anything with officers and you pay dues and you have events and they would be like um you know like basically like weekend camping trips you would run out you know like a like a, a camping ground or like a ski lodge that was off season and you'd invite other van clubs from other other cities you drive in a big caravan with your with your crew and it would be a hundred vans driving down the street and you you know you do like whatever the events are the truck pulls live shows uh you know huge bonfires tons of partying uh you know live music the whole the whole nine yards but yeah that was that was sort of how i grew up wow all right, that sounds sweet, man. So does that? I mean, that that's fair to infer then that that gives you a little bit of a framework for being in a touring band and uh, playing more of a DIY minded scene and all that sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, grew up camping, grew up being outside, um, you know, rough, you know, kind of roughing it or whatever, and you know, in that sort of party atmosphere. And then actually, it just sort of came to me too that you know when I told my old man that I wanted to play music, uh you know, that I, I want to play bass when I was, I don't know, 14 or whatever age. It was one of his buddies that was in the club. He told him, yeah, my kid wants to play music. And he used to play in a band and he just had a bass sitting around his house. So he gave it to me. And that was how I got started. Uh, literally from that, that actually just came to me just talking about that. No shit. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's why I ask about the family. And that's because there, there's been a few times where people will kind of just, you know, you recall something as you're talking about it, man. It happens to me while I'm, uh, talking on the show too sometimes, man. Uh, okay, so you said it was a bass they gave you. Yeah. Do you remember like what kind of bass or you know what what model? I no, I remember specifically because I was bummed on it because it was like a <laughs> semi hollow three thirty five with the f hole. You know, not metal at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and but you know, to to my old man's credit, he you know he took me out to music stores and we found uh, went to Big B Buzzo. And uh, Big B Buzzo was down was down on my base, and he gave me a good trade in amount, and I got a, I got a Kramer Striker that looked like a Fender P bass with like sparkly red, you know, looked like a Steve Harris, you know, which is exactly what I wanted. So yeah. All right, man. All right, so yeah, I mean, Steve Harris. So I, I take it Iron Maiden is a um, pretty big deal for you uh, at, at the time, right? Huge, huge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, makes sense. Makes sense. What about? What are your first inklings into uh, underground punk rock, hardcore, underground metal, whatever it is? Like something, something that's um a little bit more off the beaten path and not on the commercial music scene. I mean, for metal, you know, like I'm I'm old enough that like metal was you know happening as I was growing up. So, you know, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, you know, Defenders was my first uh, real concert ever when I was like, I don't know. 13 12 something like that um but underground stuff i don't think i really found there were no punks in my high school there were no like real metal people at my high school there's only like maybe four or five of us total that like knew who slayer was knew metallica um but if you're talking hardcore i don't think i went to my first hardcore show until like 88 like a matinee show like i think youth of today was probably my first my first show 
Um, but before that, it was all it was all metal, you know, arena stuff. So Metallica, Slayer, uh, Queensryche, all all that stuff. Man, you just made me and a lot of other people jealous right now. Um, yeah, Queensryche's the best. Yeah. Oh, that and don't, let's not get started on the Tyler <laughs> Tour thing. We, we're we're early yeah. in the interview. We're early in the interview. Um, let's let's keep it let's keep it in Rochester for a minute. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about growing up in Rochester? What kind of, well, you know, I always ask, you know, was you more of a city, suburbs, rural environment? I've been to Rochester a few times in like the 2000s. I don't know much about Rochester. So maybe just what was it like growing up, especially as, um, uh, as a kid in the environment you just described growing up in the van culture and, and all that sort of thing. And, um, uh, what what sort of things were you getting into? You know, like uh, just I don't know. Just take us into your childhood a little bit in Rochester. I just want to get a taste of that. Yeah, I mean, after I think like when I was like ten or eleven, we moved out to the suburbs. I grew up in the city at first when I was really young, but I wasn't really into anything at that point. Uh, once I moved out to the burbs in Greece, which is about twenty five minutes outside the city. Um, yeah, that was you know my my buddy, my best buddy Dano. We grew up together since we were like 10. We went into, we were into all the same shit together. So D&D, comic books, music, like every, every stage that you go through as an adolescent, you know, suburban kid, mm. we went through all that shit together in the eighties. And, um, you know, that, that suburb Greece was right near, was, you know, right next to Kodak and everyone that we knew, like every family member of everyone I knew, all our dads worked at Kodak, all our moms worked at Kodak and um, the way that that town built itself out, because there were so many, so much manufacturing in that town between like Kodak and Xerox and Bausch and Lomb and 3M, um, there's a huge amount of kids in the burbs. So like my my suburb alone had three public high schools and two Catholic high schools. So there's just a fucking shitload of kids everywhere. Like you know, we had a we had I don't even know like 1,200 kids total in our high school. So multiply that times five uh, of all kids in the eighties, all doing, you know, all getting wasted, all, you know, lots of kids going to shows. Hip hop was just starting to become a thing, but it wasn't really that big. It was all hard rock and, and all that kind of shit. So, you know, the, you know, everything you see in the movies, basement, basement parties and keggers and fucking house shows, just, just like that all the time, like fun as hell. Yeah. Just, I'm just guesstimating in my mind, just for the listeners, I like I think my high school might have been around 300 to 400 kids here in the suburbs of Huntington and Long Island Huntington High School and, and I graduated 2000 if if I recall correctly so that's like that's a lot of kids you're right that's a big yeah um all right man so and then what about uh venues like how was it for you getting to getting like record stores venues tour access to touring bands coming through how was that for you as a teenager it was, I mean, actually it was really good. Rochester wasn't, was in a pretty good spot because you're, you know, even, even later on when I was, you know, quote unquote touring or whatever in bands, you're in a good place ge- geographically. Like you're six to eight hours from New York, Philly, Boston, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, all that shit. And we're right in between Syracuse and Buffalo. So we had a ton of bands that would always come through when they're driving either East or West um, and there's always been like a good hardcore scene in, in Rochester um, and and metal scene, too. I think I think in the in the 90s, I think the like especially the death metal scene got got to be pretty big. 
I, I don't think I was too, I don't, I don't think we were super clued in on underground bands when we were in high school. Like we we're probably more like the, the, the big shows, you know, or the medium sized shows would be uh, in Charlotte on the beach at um, the Penny Arcade and like the big promoter in Rochester that had connections to every, you know, Anthrax and Metallica and King Diamond and all that shit was the guy that owned Lakeshore Records. And he would organize all the sort of all the best like autograph sessions, always had the best imports. If you went in there as a kid and you bought like one Metallica record or you saw you had a patch of whatever Slayer or something, he was like, oh, I just got this in. You should check this out. Like you need this. That was how I got like so much cool shit was like, I don't even remember. I must have been I must I must have bought something. And he goes, hey, I just got in this like jump in the fire like import you know he would always have like whatever the coolest imports were and then yeah there was a couple shots like that there was heavy metal records that was like a little far out like we didn't have we didn't have cars when we were kids so we couldn't get to everything um but yeah there's you know there's a good amount of especially metal stuff like thrash stuff there was a good amount of people that knew what was up and you know all those shows all came you know metallica recorded the first record there in in rochester so everyone kind of knew what was up you know slayer played the arcade which is like a 300 cap 500 cap bar um and they play that on rain and blood you know so that i mean i missed that show but i saw every other show you know i saw testament i saw uh not dio there i can't remember all you know i've seen fucking a million shows <laughs> um all right so, and rando question kind of a, a tourist rochester question uh the the venue i know uh, best up there does it date back uh as far as you growing up the bug jar bug jars forever i don't i don't know when it started but yeah i mean i remember being when i i think when i first turned 21 so we're you know we're going back to the early 90s i think that was one of our stops when we were bar hopping when i turned 21 so it's been around for at least 30 years yeah see i've seen some cool shows there and uh, i've been fortunate to perform there once or twice um I, uh, so moving forward now as i said man going on metal archives they got you all the way back um they got you in 1990 in a thrash metal band called ultimatum yep yeah that was a that was our first band that did anything that did you know wrote songs recorded demos you know, played played shows out and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think everything before that was just kind of like, you know, kids kids talking or kids just jamming in a basement. Um, yeah, that was a thrash band. That was, you know, my buddy Dano is a singer and guitar player in that band. Um, yeah, I just actually reunited with some of those guys uh, a couple of months ago at the Bug Jar. You know, for, <laughs> for Lon's. We can talk awesome. about Lon later, but yeah, but there's people I haven't seen in yeah 30, 25, 30 years. Um, catching up with those guys. Okay, and and I kind of take it that you and some of those guys also are involved in these bands, uh, Golgotha and Slave One, through the years. Yeah, the 90s. so Ultimatum was like thrash, and and I think Dan and I were kind of trying to push it towards. We were getting into death metal at that point, mm -hmm. and we couldn't really sort of drag those guys with us. Golgotha started as like a you know, and when then we started getting into like electronic music and industrial. And that was Golgotha started as that as a side project to just record um, some like, you know, Roz Williams, we, you know, just weird gothy electronic sacrilegious music. Um, and then, yeah, so it just basically transitioned into that once Ultimatum broke up, 
we just started doing that, like doing the industrial thing through the nineties and called off and slave one are basically the same band, just kind of different concepts. So we changed the name. Plus there's also 50 Golgothas too. So, <laughs> um, was there a, a big scene like for that type of music as well for the more industrial and goth type of music? Were you involved in that in uh, the nineties in the, in, in Rochester? Yeah. I mean, we were probably, I'd say we we're like one of, we're probably the only local band in Rochester. There was a couple other people that did some stuff forward now was one, but you know, they only play like maybe one or two shows. Um, but there was a big, there was sort of getting to be a bigger scene in Western New York as a whole. Um, I can't remember every, I'm not going to remember every band name, but all the bigger, the cool thing was all the bigger bands that came through on tour. We opened every show. So we opened for fear factory and bile and, um, clay people and chem lab and screw and, you know, every, every band you can think of in the nineties that toured, if they came through town, we, we were always on the show. Yeah. Bob, I, I definitely remember bile too. Um, uh from they they were from long island or at least some members were there was like a big buzz on long island with them because there was there was a lot of local people that knew about them they were awesome they were really nice to us yeah um yeah maybe i should try to track those guys down um but okay so and, and then um you know the next project that that we see you pop up in according to metal archives anyway is um a death between seasons which i think gives us a little hint maybe more of the type of music um that that you that you come to be known for or associated with i should say a little bit more frantic uh a, a little little bit more um uh, uh wild, you know wild and you know i i don't know if you would apply the word grindcore to that to that band but there was definitely you know something along those lines i'll let you maybe take take over and talk about that yeah i don't, I don't i'm not sure if maybe that would sort of classify as grindcore i don't know i mean it was definitely influenced by like morser and trying to think of what else you know that sort of late mid to late 90s like what screamo was at that point at that yeah. time like sort of like but like the crusty version of that um that band was like super crazy there was always multiple singers you know we started off with three singers and then we had two singers for a long time and the shows were always just it was just a pile up you know it was always like basement shows or uh you know not VFWs, but hey, rented rented DIY spaces, and you know it was always a a fucking debacle. <laughs> it was a it was it was a mess. It was fun as hell, but it was yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, the, just the energy of it is very frantic, and it's it's um really loud and noisy, and and two singers seems to fit perfectly. I mean, you have the you know the the band name that's kind of like uh, reads like a statement two singers the, the stylistically like you use the word screamo and as i say often that word had a much different connotation in the 90s and early 2000s now it's kind of like a hot topic throwaway term you know that people that a lot that that the general public might use for for whatever music but screamo was a very specific genre that had a little bit more i'll i'll say dignity in, yeah, the late, yeah. in the late in the late '90s, in terms of underground metal and underground hardcore, that sort of thing. But so I I can picture the DIY spaces, the two singers, the whole thing, man. Um, and I and the 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 band ended in 2000. Yeah, I mean, it sort of ended a, a couple of different times. It was it, it's it sort of fell apart. It was uh, the others the the longest two singers was was me and Eric Sainer. Eric went down to Atlanta to go sing for an earlier version of Mastodon. Mm. And then um, 
Dan and Lyle, the guitar, one of the guitar players and the drummer moved out to Oakland and they were in a bunch of bands in Oakland for, for years after that too. But yeah, everyone kind of like moved and, and, and split up, but it, it took a while. Like I, you know, we thought the band was done and then it was like, Oh, we booked another show. And then, you know, then there was a, you know, there'd be a new singer. I'd be like, I'd show up to the show and somebody, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and they're holding a mic on, Hey, I'm your new singer. I'm like, Oh, Hey, what's up, dude. <laughs> you know, it was that chaotic. It yeah. was, you know, it was pretty wild. All right, man. Well, also one of the reasons I ask, you know, that if whether whether it was the band was over by two thousand, like it says, did by two thousand four, did you feel like everybody was doing what you guys were doing a few years ago? I I mean, oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I mean, I felt like we were ripping off bands from Europe, anyways. So. Okay, all right. But that that's a, a humble way to answer, man. I'm just saying, it seems like you guys were a little ahead of the curve on something that a lot of bands would would elaborate on later. Um, but but regard, we'll we'll be nice to them. Um. <laughs> Uh, so maybe at this point too, cause you mentioned Mastodon, uh, another former guest of the show, shout out to Eric Burke. Um, you, you end up in the band Calabas shortly, uh, uh, after, were you in that band at the same time as Eric Burke? Yeah. I mean, I would say all those bands sort of, for me overlapped, you know, yeah. like I'd be in the next band for six months to a year before the, you know, the previous band broke up, but yeah, I'd definitely be in, in multiple bands at the same time uh, okay man and i also found something interesting about calabas um you're on the first uh you know release which i believe was 2002 uh the first album was 2002 and uh, but uh, there's uh, there's a note there on metal archives that said the band was formed in 93 or no later than 93 i have no idea what that means okay 90- yeah, I don't know. I'd have to ask Eric, I guess. I mean, that was just a weird kind of side note. I guess maybe that they there was almost a decade of 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 um I mean, it definitely it definitely wasn't. I know that's not true because uh we they practiced in our in our room. So, yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know what that notice. That's weird. I love catching metal archives on the thing. It's, it's <laughs> my it's my own little game now with them, man. Shout out to them, man. Good resource. But um re- regardless, you end up on um Product of Hard Living um the, the the first calabas album released on willow tip records yeah. um i i mean i don't want to go i don't want to push too far ahead but i did want to ask you like that willow tip records obviously now um has established themselves 20 years later but even at that point that was a pretty formidable respectable label for underground music no yeah for sure i mean i i feel like i don't know if we were a part of that first i don't know if we consider that the first wave of bands or the second wave but that that time frame, like 2001 or two, that's like Circle of Dead Children, mm-hmm. Commit Suicide, Misery Index, uh, fuck, I don't know, name it. You know, it's it's a it's a pretty, it was a pretty great period of time. You know, Tipton just sort of had a he had a really good roster. I mean, he's always had a good roster, but especially at that time, I think everyone was was pretty fucking stoked on all that stuff. Yeah, it it was it was an era. It was definitely um indicative of the era in, in underground m- music in the the early 2000s. So maybe just take us through Calabas a little bit um for for the listeners, man. Did you guys I I know I believe I saw you guys at Maryland Death Fest 04, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that would that would have been after I was out. There's okay. there's a bunch okay. of versions of the band. Got so it. yeah, I think I think the band started in what did what did it say like I don't know, like 2000, uh, maybe 99, 2000, something like that. I joined 
in 2000 because I remember it was like my 30th birthday and I was throwing up outside of a venue and uh, being like, oh, like this band's super fun. <laughs> uh, but I replaced um, Greg Herman on guitar, uh, who, you know, he he was an insane guitar player and ended up becoming a, an insane drummer, too. Um, and he's had he's I can't even remember the name of some of the band. Oh, he started Psyopus. If you remember that band, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. But he had a bunch of other stuff on guitar that's even crazier than that. Um, and then, yeah, so I was on. We did a bunch of demo recordings, and that was back in the time when you would distribute CDRs everywhere, just mail out CDRs to everyone or yeah. sell them on the road. There's, you know, just what what you could what you could pull off. You know, sell a CDR for two bucks or whatever. And I think that's how Tipton found out about us. Um, and the way that started was basically like he hit us up and it was like Creations Crucifixion is on tour and they they need someone to you know play a couple weeks of shows. Are you guys into it? We're like, yeah, definitely. And those guys ended up becoming like really tight friends of ours. They they really just taught us how to tour, like how to like because they would be on the tour, they'd be on tour for like a year straight, just total maniacs. Wow. Um yeah, and we had a great time. And the shows went seem must have gone pretty well because Tiffin's like, yeah, let's do a record. And um yeah, and then and that came out, and then we then we got hooked up with like commit suicide, and those were our bros. And we did, you know, tours with them, and you know, we did more with, with creation and all that stuff. Um, it, it seemed like a really long time, but when I think about it, I think I was only a band for a couple of years, and then you know, you know, bands where they're everyone's crazy and drinking all the time and partying it just sort of like it blew up at one point and then i moved to new york and the band was supposed to be broken up and they ended up getting back together and they had a new drummer a new bass player a new it was basically pat and jody just sort of like put a new band together and that that lasted they put out another record and i did some artwork for that and helped out behind the scenes for probably another year and then I i don't know what happened but then that lineup broke up and then they brought Eric back and, you know, I, I sort of lost track of who was, who was in the band, uh, but that went on for a while and then they, they became blurring. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a chaotic band to sort of keep, <laughs> keep track of. Like I could tell I'm confusing you. So <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's good. And a lot of the listeners I'm sure appreciate the clarification too, because uh, uh product of hard living um, was definitely part of that like iconic generation of of uh, initial Willow Tip releases from from those years, man. And and you were on that, no? Yeah, I was like, on that, I, and then I was on the 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 whatever the relapse was. We did something on relapse. It was a split. Split with, with uh, a rune. Rune. Uh, that's says, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, got it, man. So yeah, so I'm just yeah, I just wanted to clarify that, man, because um a lot of people are fans of that album, of course, and. Here's here's another question before before we move to New York, uh, before we move move to the city, um, the Willow the the product of hard living coming out on Willow Tip, Calabash and Rune Split coming out on Relapse Records, boom, you're right there. You've put out releases on two of the more uh, you know well known labels in the underground music scene. Does that maybe plant a seed in your head for doing your own label? Does it shine a light to you or or, or maybe should give you a different perspective of the scene working with those type of labels? Um, just just any kind of reflection on on being in a band that had releases like that? No, um, not really at that point. But later on, as I'm working, like I kept in touch with Tipton. And as I was getting more into doing graphic design stuff, 
I was doing a lot of work for him. And then that tr tr transitioned into working with Greg Drudy, who was the production manager at Relapse. And he had a couple different labels. And I was doing a lot of work for him. And he would push me. He's like, ah, oh, you should put out records. You should put, you should do a label. You should do your own label. And that sort of that and and the first release, if you want to get into that later, or we can do it now, instigated that that first record coming out. But it was those guys pushing me and it was people connected to that. So yeah. Okay. I, yeah, let, let's I abs I absolutely want to um talk about that. And I feel like we're we're right there because you like you mentioned, you moved to New York City when around like two thousand three, four? Three, yeah, summer two. I just hit twenty years uh, last August. So. Okay, congratulations, man. Um, uh, so do you want to uh, talk a little bit about your um, uh, decision to move to New York City? What it's like? Uh, was that you know? Were you very experienced with New York City at the time? Like, 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 just give us a little bit of your, you know, your first accounts of moving to New York City and what what that was like. That's always interesting for people. Uh, you know, the the yeah. the New York City uh, story. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't really didn't have that much experience with New York other than driving down to either play shows or see shows. Like I played CBs a couple of different times and gone to see, you know, go see the Mad Grinders Ball, see Ralphie's Ralphie's show at CBs. Um, I don't know, you know, a couple other shows, but not not very much, uh, really. Um, yeah, I think at that time, two, you know, two thousand two. I went back to school because like the, the job market in New York or in Rochester was just fucking nothing. There was no, there were no jobs to be had anywhere. So I ended up deciding to just like go back to school and I was going to try to like focus on graphic design or something. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I had a, I had a couple teachers that were really supportive and encouraged me to keep going to school. And the idea was basically like, yeah, you should just get out of this town. Cause there's, there's just nothing happening. So I looked at art schools in New York and, you know, I came down the winter of 2002, three. And yeah, I found, I found a school I really liked and I applied and I got in and yeah, that was it. I was just, I packed all my shit up, sold, sold a bunch of shit, packed my stuff up and put it in my shitty car and drove down to New York. <laughs> and I was squatting in the South Bronx for the first couple of years. Yeah. I couldn't, my housing fell through. I don't know what a 30 year old guy would have done in the dorms at a, at a fucking private art school anyway. So um, yeah, I ended up, ended up through a bunch of weird circumstances, finding a, a, a squat space in a vacant row house in, uh, in Mott Haven and uh, on East 136th street. No, no plumbing, no electricity, the, the works, yeah. man. Uh, yeah. yeah just fucking and went to art school. I was, I thought bands were done at that point. I didn't think I was going to have another band again at that point, but huh that changed okay um now respectfully um the i mean the listeners probably you know have, have heard you know or, or seen references to the south bronx is obviously an area of new york city that over the years has been hard hit by poverty um and and crime and and, and different uh um uh different social detractors you know uh there, there, there's there's a lot of complications over there what was it like for you living that you were living in a, a what'd you say like a squat situation? I mean, you must you must have had some interesting experiences over there, and 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 to, that must have not been easy at all. No, definitely it it wasn't easy. I, I mean, I got really lucky because the the person that ended up being my landlord um, was you know she grew up there, 
Um, shout out to Carol. Fucking really got me through. Um, she was like a, you know, an artist, hippie activist type person. And we got along really well. And she sort of, yeah, she let me know like how to survive, like what to do, what, what not to do. Cause there was plenty of times I would be coming home on the six train, you know, coming back from a show at three, four in the morning. And, you know, definitely the only, the only fucking white guy in the neighborhood for sure. So, you know, I had to watch my step, you know, for sure. Make sure that, as you say, be, be respectful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I say that respectfully, man. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a shame. There are areas of any big city in the United States that are very hard hit by poverty and crime, um, and, and many challenges to, uh, to the everyday person that has to live in those areas. You know, that's why I say that. So for you to come from outside and live and survive there, obviously, you know, there must've been a different, different experience for sure. Um, I I think I was lucky because that, that everyone knew that I was part of that crew of, of that family who had been there for however, four generations or something like that. So I know that, you know, my landlord's mom, you know, she, she taught underprivileged kids for free and tutored people. They all knew their family. So I don't, I never had any problems personally being there. I had some roommates that maybe had a couple of things, but nothing major, but I think everyone in the neighborhood knew that we were connected with, with these people that were okay. And I think, I think maybe that has something to do with it. Okay, man. Um, Fair enough. Now, uh, this is also around the time that you, uh, would you say join or or you know form the band Defeatist? Tell me a little bit about getting into that and uh, meeting those guys. Yeah, so Josh and Joel I knew from playing with Anodyne, uh, with Calibus, Calibus and Anodyne had played a bunch of shows together. Yeah, um, so I'd already, already already knew those guys before I came down here, um, and then I would run into I would run into to Mike and Josh and Joel at shows all the time. We were always at every show in New York. So we would shoot the shit. And <clears throat> before I left New York, uh, Eric Burke and I did a did a demo of a band that we had called Revic. And it's just like straight, straightforward, like caveman grindcore. And uh, you know, we we recorded a, you know, like a five-song demo and I had CDs on me. And I was like, oh, you know, Josh, here's this thing that I recorded if you want to check it out. So, you know, it was a couple of years. I I did one other band. I was in, I was I played bass for like five minutes in a in a cross band called Black Howler. And that was probably 2004, something like that. Five, uh, three. I can't remember. Um, and then as soon as that band broke up, Josh called me up. He's like, hey, we really like this demo you gave us. Joel and I want to do a grindcore band. Would you be would you be down? I was like, yeah, actually, the band I was just in just broke up. So it was perfect timing. Huh. Awesome. Uh, yeah, because Defeatist, like I said at the top of the interview, um, Defeatist is kind of like where where I remember you from, um, because that was a big that was a big part of my life going to shows and, and, and that, that sort of thing uh, in Brooklyn and in New York City. You guys put out the if I pronounce it right, Thanatonic State EP in 2007 on Level Plane Records, also a split with Kursk uh, with is it Kursk. Yeah, on level playing records, level playing records. I don't know if you if you want to just um maybe talk about that label for because that uh, they were based out of Virginia, right? Level playing. Uh, I mean, Greg might have lived in Virginia at one okay. point. I wasn't really familiar, but I think um, level playing did records for Anodyne. Okay, um, I think that was the initial connection. Uh, 
But I knew I ended up becoming friends with Greg Drudy. That was who I brought up before. He was a production manager at Relapse. So he had a uh, level playing for a while. I forget. He was in a bunch of bands that were kind of bigger. Um, but yeah, that was, that was how we met. That's how we knew level playing was because the, he had worked with Anodyne before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well that, that's, I guess, you know, between Anodyne, I know. So they, they also dealt with tombs very early on level plane is another, is a label. If you go back, um, uh, to that era that, that kind of, uh, you know, worked with a lot of bands that went on to do things. Uh, so I, that's all. That's why I just wanted to bring that up. And you guys ended up doing the in praise of false hope EP, on Chainsaw Safety Records, which was also, like, at, at the time, again, man, I don't know that Chainsaw Safety is still active, but I remember them from the 2000s um, kind of putting out samplers and things like that and really getting in the mix with the local New York bands. Where, where, did you know that label? or? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew the name for sure. Um, that's another one. Josh and Joel knew Will Tarrant. He's he's the best. They They already knew Will. Um, I don't know if there's any connections other than just being friends from the scene, but yeah, you know, Will's been around forever. He was, he was like, you know, uh, famously, you know, a roadie for Rorschach and like, mm. that's, you know, that's sort of how I've known Will is, you know, through the label and through being friends with, with, uh, Josh and Joel. Yeah. All right, man. Fair enough. I just wanted to bring up these labels because I feel like for the listeners, if they want to get a, a, a taste of like this era we're talking about in underground metal, it's, you know, they, they can go back and check this stuff out too, man. I have good memories from those labels. Um, but speaking of good labels, 2010, and I want to talk a little bit more about the defeatist experience, but while we're on this label talk, you put out the uh, sixth, extinction, sixth extinction full length on Willowtip again. Um... Working with Willow Tip again, but also is this the first time that you worked with Colin Marston recording? Uh yeah, not on that record. Oh, wait. We did work on that record. I think the first thing that we did with Colin was the um split on Deep Six with uh Triac and Azra. Oh, okay. That was we recorded four songs. We we really it was really difficult to find recording studios in that era that were that we could afford um that sounded good. And I think who did I? I reached out to someone. I don't know. Someone suggested suggested Colin, and I didn't know anything about Colin other than Behold the Octopus. Um, and I think he had just moved into that spot in Queens. Yeah. I think he had only been there like a couple of months. And yeah, I was like, hey, why don't we let's try this guy out? We, you know, we just have these four songs to record. And let's see how it goes. And of course, as everyone knows, Colin's the world's greatest human, and did an amazing job and it was like the smoothest it's always been the smoothest session ever with Colin. I've recorded a million times with him and he's like always the best. Yeah. It's, it's great working with Colin. We've, we've talked about him a lot on the show over the years and it's been a while. Maybe we got to get him back on. It's been a while. Um, but I, you know, I did kind of skip over the, the defeatist releases cause I was interested in the labels and the production and that sort of thing. But, um, you guys did play out fairly often in New York, I remember. Did you get out of state and tour often with Defeatist? Yeah, I think I, the furthest west we ever made it was Chicago, <clears throat> which we played a couple of times. Um, and then the furthest north would be like, I don't know, Connecticut? Hmm. I don't even remember. We didn't get we didn't get out as far as I think we wanted to because everyone had jobs, no one had a vehicle. Um and we were kind of, you know, I was for a good chunk of defeatist. I was still in school 
So we'd have to wait for a break, you know, like a school break. Um, and then, yeah, Josh and Joel finally had like full-time jobs for the first time. And they had been touring like maniacs and anodyne. So they had all these crazy credit card bills that they were finally able to like pay down. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just years of touring, you build up all this debt and they finally like had good paying jobs. And it was just like, I think they were happy to just like finally pay the bills for once. Yeah, no, that, that, that all makes sense, man. Um, definitely in, in the right context. I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, you say school, uh, was that SVU? SVA. Yeah. SVA. I'm sorry. SVA. Uh, yeah. School of school of visual arts in New York city. That's, um, uh, respectfully, I know that, that that's a fairly, uh, well-known, um, school for graphic design and that sort of thing in New York city. That's, that's not, doesn't strike me as a school that would be easy to get into. No. Uh, I, uh, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that's the only place I applied to when I, once I went in that building, I was like, this is where I want to go. And yeah, I don't, I don't know how I made it. You know, I guess my portfolio was okay. I don't I, know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to flex, you know, yeah, but... I don't, I don't, it's, it's <laughs> not a flex. It's not a flex. I think it's like, basically, you know, there's, there's, if you have the money, then you can pull it off, I guess, you know, cause there was. Yeah. I, I just got the impression. I actually attended a tour of SVA when I was in high school uh, not a, just because a friend of mine had, you know, his mom was driving him out to actually take a tour because he was they were entertaining the idea of, you know, him going there or whatever. So I just tagged along and I got the impression it was a fairly prestigious kind of school that, you you know, for for people interested in that career path, man. That's well, you know, when I saw I, I think I, I got because you some of your student work is still on your YouTube channel. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's where I got that from. No, I was, I was to be. It was a, that program. Yeah, that school is, is amazing. It totally changed my life. Like I put as everything I had into into going to school. I didn't work for those four years. I I put more work into my schoolwork than you know most jobs I've ever had. <clears throat> and I you know fell in with like a, a couple of really good crews in that school. You know, my portfolio class promotion was was a heavy duty. Uh, it was it was a big deal, and the people that came out of that came out of that portfolio class did really amazing work, and they changed a lot of things. Um, so I was happy to follow suit in that in that crew of people. That is exactly why I wanted to get into this because twenty years later, um, do you cross paths or you know hear news of people that you went to school with who are you know in the industry in certain places uh, now? Yeah, for sure, but. Weirdly, in in a lot of ways, what's strange is some of the people that I felt were the most talented in what we did, which was animation and design, and you know specifically for like television or you know whatever post post effects and that kind of stuff. A lot of them, their heart was you know like one. I thought one of the best motion designers I've ever worked with that went to my school. He was a real sneakerhead, and his fucking ultimate goal was to go work at Nike, and that's what he did. He quit. You know, he quit doing video stuff. And moved out to Portland. And he's, as far as I know, he's still designing <laughs> fucking sneakers for Nike, but he's happy as shit. So, hey. yeah, I don't, it's weird. It's weird like that. There's a lot of people that like, you know, and also once you get up to a certain point, like you get in this weird corporate structure and television where you're like a VP of fucking strategy and marketing and you, you're spending all your time in like meetings and not doing what you want to do, which is design or animate or whatever. And then, yeah, that's just adult bullshit. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, just for the younger listeners, man, who wonder how 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 a job could sap the life out of you. <laughs> it could yeah. happen. Uh, all right, fair enough, man. And I don't want to I don't want to derail too much because now we're getting into. Um, uh, I, I misspoke before in 2011, uh, tyranny of, uh, decay was the, fi- right. was the final full length by defeatist, right? Tyranny of decay. Yep. Tyr- yeah. Tyranny. That's yeah. It's just my Long Island accent yeah. slipping in there. Um, tyranny of decay, the, the final full length by defeatist, but was it the first, that was the second nerve alter release, right? Uh, I think it ended up being three actually. Okay. I think there was two before that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, still, you you had a story about the first Nerve Alter Records release before. I feel like we're kind of in that time zone now, if you want to maybe get into all that. Yeah, so, you know, I had finally finished school, and I was working, so I had, you know, actual income coming in, and that was around the time that I was working, you know, talking with Greg Drudy at Relapse pretty, pretty regularly, and, um, yeah, I met Andreas from Saidina from Sweden, one of my favorite all-time fucking grindcore bands. We met at a at, at a hotel party at MDF one year. Huh. And he's like, Hey, I like your band a lot. Your set was great. I was like, Holy shit, dude, you're like my favorite in my favorite band ever. Like I love, you know, most Swedish bands. Um, but that was Saidina was like one of my one of my all-time favorites. And they their last record, um, had come out on sound pollution, but it only came out on CD. And we, you know, between the three of us and defeatists, we're always joking. I'm waiting to get it when it comes out on its real format. Cause we were vinyl snobs, not snobs, but we just only bought records and it just never, we were just waiting for the, for the vinyl version to come out. just never seemed to come out. And that was the first thing I asked Andreas when I met him was like, Hey man, what's up with that record? Is it going to come out on vinyl or what? He goes, Oh, funny. You should say that we're talking to relapse now. And, uh, about maybe doing some stuff with them. And the first thing we asked them is if they would release that on vinyl. So a couple of months later, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I can't wait. And then we just hung out. And then I kept in touch with Andreas, just emailing back and forth about whatever. But on the other end, I was talking to the dude at Relapse. I'm like, yo, man, what's up? What's up with that fucking Saidina record? Is that going to come out or what? And he's like, ah, I don't know. We're not sure yet. We'll see. You know, We're talking it out. And then, yeah, it ended up being that they didn't want to do the vinyl for that record for whatever reason. And I was like, Oh, that's a fucking bummer. I love that record. He goes, fuck man, you should just press it yourself. Like you should just start a label. I'm like, really? He goes, it's totally easy. I'll give you, you know, I'll tell you what to do and I'll, you know, I'll buy a bunch to carry for distro. I was like, all right, great. Let me, let me see what he says. So I hit up Andreas about it and I was like, Hey man, like, I don't know what you think about this. I know, I know that they're not going to do the vinyl, but I'm thinking about starting a label. Would you be down with, be in my first release um and they said yes and uh yeah here we are <laughs> all right man um now you made it sound very easy but just you know I, you know as as much as you'd, you'd like to get into it but just for the listeners like uh everybody has you know kind of a fantasy football you know if i did a label idea but it's like the you know, once you figure out what cool band and awesome release you want to put out, and yes, the artwork's going to look great, there's some more tedious stuff that goes into all this, I'm sure. Like, you know, like, how do you get to, um, say, for instance, you having some sort of catalog number 
uh, barcode, you know, or, or or whatever, and and the packaging, like like what what goes into actually being a legit label as opposed to like a you know just your DIY tape, you know, photocopy label. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't really consider Nervalt or like a legit label. Mm. Uh, as a as a as a business, it's a total fucking failure. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm you know I'm in debt forever. Um, yeah, I've never done I've never done barcodes. I only did um, shrink wrap on the first three LPs, and then I just fucking dropped that right away. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a matter of like how how you know how organized are you, and how much can you come through for other people when you promise them on things. And I'm I'm definitely guilty of not coming through on stuff sometimes once in a while. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't. I yeah, I don't. I don't have a business plan. I don't. I don't work with like PR people or anything like that i would i would definitely consider nerve alter a diy thing it's just me i've got my hands on you know i mail out every record myself i touch every package whether it's you know cutting hand cutting obs or cutting up jackets or or whatever so i would definitely consider nerve alter to be diy Fair enough, man. I like how you kind of flipped it on me because, again, for the people listening who, you know, who think about doing a label or this, that, the other thing, maybe it's not as crazy hard as you think. Maybe, you know, if you have the right resources and you take it seriously, other, you know, other people could, could, could you know, engage in this kind of DIY thing themselves one day. Um, so one thing that I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I would just say just on that, I would totally encourage that. I think labels yeah. are bullshit. Like I think <laughs> I think everyone should do it themselves. Like it's yeah. it's not that hard. It is a pain in the ass. Don't get me wrong. Like you need to follow through on stuff. It's a total pain in the ass, but you can totally do it. And I don't think I don't think labels are necessary anymore. With all these tools at um everyone's disposal, you know, social media and everything, man. I mean, it's been said many times before, man. You know, but um I, yeah, I, I absolutely, man. People can be their own labels. Um, that be, you know, again, sh- shout to the labels that some, some of my bands work with, man. I don't, want, <laughs> I don't, but you know, we, we know, I know exactly what you're saying though, man. Like you don't need to wait. And, uh, there's a lot of underground bands, demo level bands or whatever that don't necessarily need to bank all their hopes on shopping to whatever label, you know, that they, they feel that they, they would want to work with either, man. You yeah. Know, you... I, I mean, I, I want to work with friends. I want to stay in the scene. You know, I haven't had a band, a regular band in a long time, and this is how I stay connected to people that I, you know. It used to be, you know, if you look at any of the stories that I have about in my Instagram about like all the records I do, it's all people that I've met on tour or, you know, through the internet, people that I've been emailing with. And it's it's a way to stay connected with people. I'm more than happy, you know, when I say fuck labels, I mean it to a certain degree, but also to like, I want to work with my friends and I'm happy when my friends work with me and I'm honored when people send me their, their recordings or whatever and they want to do something with me. I'm always kind of shocked by it. Uh, somewhat so yeah i mean it's like if if the label isn't just all about business and fucking money or whatever you know i'm all for it yeah man um i i think i know where you're coming from and with that being said i think that's a good segue because i have a list of some of your releases and some bands you've worked here i kind of wanted to like go through and maybe just get a couple of your thoughts um, you know, maybe on like, like you said, where you met these guys, your relationship with the band or just, you know, just anything about that particular release. Um, first of all, a band that I've found very interesting for a long time now, uh, the band Dephosphorus. They're, are they not from Greece? They're from Greece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
You want, do you want to just tell me a little bit about those guys and how you started working with them? Because that's a really interesting band. I feel like they have... Um, I don't want I don't want it to talk it to death, but they I, they have like appeal to people from maybe even from death metal or extreme metal. But there's obviously like a kind of more hardcore grindcore roots thing going on. They they just touch a lot of bases very like naturally and seamlessly. Uh, but I, I want to let you take over on them. Yeah, and I I would also say they they kind of don't sound like anyone else. Mm, yeah, like, and I think that's yeah I think that's sort of their. That's got to be in their influencers or something like that. Like talking to Panos, he's he's a really intellectual dude. He's very he's very inspired by science fiction and you know a lot of different authors. Um, really interesting. I honestly I can't remember. We've been in contact for so long now that I don't even remember how it started, other than maybe he just hit me up on email one day. Um, and he's connected with like the scene in Europe. I think he used to work for some PR stuff in Greece, maybe. I don't, I can't, I don't exactly remember. Um, but yeah, I think we've done, man, I don't even know, like maybe four, four records together. There was like the split with Hapoja. Um, we just did the sublimation record. Yeah. There was something else too. I can't remember, but yeah. Also on that front too, there's, there's a new one that's going to be coming up too. So I don't, I don't know how long, how far away that is, but there's a new record. Okay, man. Yeah. I just want to touch on, on them, um, and then another international band you've worked with, but one uh, that, you know, as people famously know, is relocated to New York City, uh, Chapang. Oh, yeah. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about meeting those guys and working with those guys, because they're a really interesting band. They don't fit into any molds um, musically and, and artistically. They're, they're, they're just they're kind of in their own lane, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. And they and they keep changing, too. They keep I don't I don't like to use the word evolve because that connotates something else, but like they're just always on to like what's the new thing that we can do? How can we make this different? But yeah, Chidi's hit me up out of the blue. They had that first seven inch that we did already recorded. They recorded it with Colin. It was already done and mastered, and they had some drawings for the artwork. And yeah, he just hit me up out of the blue. He's like, Hey, would you be down to to put this out? Um, we, I know you know Colin, we just recorded with Colin. And I was kind of like, fuck, man, this is sick. Like, what's the what's the deal? What's your story? Because he just said that, you know, we're from Nepal. We live in New York. And I'm like, all right, what's the what's the story with this? And I'm looking up the meaning of the word Japan and I'm trying to look up the lyrics and it's, you know, impossible. And it's, you know, they sort of gave me the lowdown of like, you know, they all immigrated to New York around the same time. There's a huge uh, metal scene in, in uh, Kathmandu and they're all different generations of it. Um, you know, cause there's about, I don't know, five to six to eight years between ages of the members. So there's some generation, you know, early generation of Nepali metal dudes and to younger guys. And, um, yeah, they're just, they're just fucking crazy ass people that they brought me in as family. Like I, I ended up touring with those guys in Europe, uh, filling in on guitar when she couldn't leave the country. Um, and yeah, we went up to, we did a, a short run up to Canada and played Ear Slaughter. Is that what it's called? Ear Slaughter Fest in Montreal. And then, yeah, we went to Europe for a couple of weeks and played uh, Obscene Extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I've been like, they just took me and his family. They're, just, they're all really uh, fucking awesome people. Fair enough, man. Oh, yeah, they, um, real good vibe off of them. I got, I got to try to get them on the podcast, invite somebody. 
Um, I'm, I'm proud of those guys. They have their own label now. They just put out a double LP on their own fucking label. Like, you know, they've they've come up from like just slowly but surely like getting, you know, bigger and bigger and, and doing but you know, doing it for the right reasons, doing their own thing. Yeah. Um yeah, DIY, like you like you say, in the in the spirit of the label. Um and there there's a few other releases I wrote down here. Um uh we just had uh, Sean Walsh of Skull Shitter returned into a whole episode, and prior to that, a few months ago, we had the whole band Skull Shitter on to talk about their most recent album, uh, Goat Claw, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, and, you know, we, we got into it with them. That's a band that's been working very hard in New York City and in Brooklyn for years now. Um, all, all those guys are at, you know, just about every show and, and helping out, backlining and playing every show, and um this most recent album of theirs it's it's very interesting experience i don't know if you just want to comment on that album and your relationship with those guys again because they um you know i don't want to keep saying the same thing but they're also kind of in their own lane and i think you tend to curate bands that are definitely doing their own thing yeah i mean those those are guys those are like buddies that you see all the time like we've been going to the same shows when when the Akron was around, we would just see each other. You know, if you're if you were familiar with the Akron, you know, you almost kind of live there because there were so many shows. We'd you'd be there three or five times a week to catch all the great shows that Bill would book. And those guys are right there. So it's like, oh hey, what's up, dudes? You know, and we're just hanging out, having a good time, drinking beers at a show. And it, invariably they would always open a bunch of shows. I can't remember if we ever we must have played together. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, they're a great band that just gets better with every record. And, you know, you know, Ryan's a total maniac in the best way possible and fucking, you know, Rob, those guys are just fucking awesome. I love those guys. (laughs) Yeah, man. And, um, so in addition to like local and there's also, you know, on that same note of kind of, uh, very unique, uh, but local to New York City bands, your former bandmates uh, in Radiation Blackbody, you put out uh, their most recent album, Dead Seed Planted in Dead Earth, uh, if I got that right. That yeah. I, I, Now, again, that again, I just kind of like grouped them in, maybe while we're talking about Skull Shitter and Chepang, but there's like, they're just, but only because they they don't, they don't really belong in any group. You know what I mean? They're doing their own thing. Now, those guys, you mentioned Anodyne, Defeatist, radiation black but i gotta get i would love to get them on the podcast together because those are two guys who've been jamming together for what 20 25 years maybe more yeah over over 20 for sure yeah yeah yeah. um it's it's amazing that and they radiation black body kind of just continued after defeatist or yeah i think that they started that project while defeatist was around and then yeah when defeatist ended they just they kept going with it yeah (laughs) crazy man they they would they i I trapped them into playing an ill-fated Long Island show one day, man. Maybe we'll get, oh, good, maybe, good. maybe we'll relive that uh, on the on the podcast if I ever get <laughs> them on. But um, all right, so get but getting out of New York City now. A couple of things I will admit I didn't expect things to get as gory and and brutal and death metal uh, when I was going down the nerve altar memory lane. Uh, I missed congealed putrescence from Louisiana the first time around, and I uh, checked that out. Um, above average death metal is what I wrote in my notes. Within the ceaseless murk is the name of the album that you released. 
Um, that that especially for like heavy hole listeners, because you know we we tend to keep you know keeping the death metal and the guttural you know frame of mind a lot of time. That's really something that people shouldn't lose. There's another one I'm gonna bring up too. But how do you how do you come to work with those guys? And also, you know, we we know by now you're you're a grindcore guy, hardcore punk, but you're also a metalhead. Uh, what's your relationship to death metal and and guttural and brutal death metal like? Uh, I mean, I grew up on death metal. Like I've been, you know, in the back of the day in Rochester, had a really living so close to being so close to Buffalo, which was quote unquote the the death metal capital of the world back in the day. Um, you know, I saw all those bands: Cannibal, Baphomet, uh, fucking, you know, name them. I've I've seen them, and then also the Rochester scene was fucking super sick. Like Rochester alone put out like four or five of the best death metal drummers you can think of. You got. Bron Bron Daler, Dave Colross, Timmy Young. Um, uh, there's a couple more I can't I can't remember, but that's all right out of our scene that we were all in in Rochester in the early '90s. Uh, so yeah, I've got memories of seeing Alters of Madness tour, seeing fucking Pestilence, seeing Dead Horse, you know, all the everything. Um, so yeah, definitely death metal's always been my thing. Um, as far as like the gore like what were you saying was it gore grind i don't i i I like gore grind a lot i think i've gotten more into it in the last couple of years um i think you know when uh i found out my buddy julian was doing that sickening shit label i was buying like two-thirds of every release he was putting out in the last couple of years even though i don't have a fucking tape deck (laughs) but i've got a fucking giant stack of fucking tapes i'm looking at right now that it's like all all gore grind stuff. Um, I think I had, I think I held off on that stuff simply because I listen to so many different kinds of music. I need to cut it off at some point because my apartment is filling up with fucking shit that I can't. <laughs> it's like, I need to stop listening to something. Um, Cause I can't keep buying all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, look, you see behind me, dude, I got a problem too. Um, yeah. There's only so much music. There's only so many hours in the day. Uh, yeah. And some, so many, I mean, if, if, the basic thing is like, if it's good, it's good. Yeah, and you know, yeah. I like what I like, and I—that's sort of the only thing that I have, and I can't—I can't put a sort of a template on it of like I only like stuff that's out there. I don't—that's not true. I just—it just happens to be that someone comes up to me with something that's like this is a little bit different, and no one else is going to put this out. And if I don't put it out, it may never come out, which would be a fucking crime. <laughs> Uh, fair enough, man. So on that note, um, and I appreciate the death metal talk. What got us talking there was the congealed putrescence oh, yeah, yeah. release. Uh, if you want to talk about that a little bit. That's another one where, yeah, those guys just hit me up out of the blue. It was like, hey, would you want to put this out? And it was fucking, that record's sick. It and is. I think it sort of flew under the radar a little bit. But it's like, I think it's, yeah, I think it's really high quality death grind. Um, the riffs are crazy. Like, it's a little Swedish in my head. Not HM2 Swedish, but like classic sort of um yeah i don't know it reminded me of general surgery in some parts but it's not a ripoff it's just like just really fucking sick riffs that's all i care about is sick riffs definitely sick riffs man that's highly recommended for like our death metal listeners especially man um for everyone but you know definitely for the our, our our everyday heavy hole death metal guy um and another one while we're on this kind of this note right here that i really wanted to talk about um 
All right, I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to just say the the, uh, the abbreviation because you know where I'm going already. Uh, oh, the, yep. the split you put out between emphysem, emphysematous excretion of gangrenous debridement, which is actually, uh, that's a band that features Andrew Lee, who people may know better from Ripped to Shreds and Skull Smasher. Um, and that, that, and that, that band did a split with the uh, far easier to pronounce, but not too easy to pronounce, Empyema, yeah. I'm going to say. I'm sure I'm doing the Long Island pronunciation of both those bands, but the, these guys knew what they were getting into when they named their bands. But the split, the split, that band features um, uh, Harlan uh, of Bodies Lay Broken, which is a band I know. I, I'm not familiar with his other projects as much. Brob, Pantalones, Abajo, Marinero, um, Pat, Pat, Pediceri. They're also hard for me to pronounce. I'm trying my best here. But regardless, uh, you got Andrew Lee of Ripped to Shreds um, on, on one, in one band and Harlan of Bodies Lay Broken in the other. For listeners who don't realize, that's kind of like having like underground, brutal, gore grind, death metal royalty in a way. It's it's a very fun split just for that idea, that super group idea, because they're both such lo-fi, dirty, gore grind sounding bands and they don't sound alike you can you can tell each band from one another you know gore grind is a tricky genre because it's just saturated with bedroom projects um and then you kind of kind of take the dead infections and the whoever else is uh added, you know the, the you know lift the cream out of the crop but this is really cool man it's it's catchy the production is bad in a good way you know it's um it's purposely brutal and uh, abrasive raw you know what i mean it's 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 with it's i think it's intentionally sounds like that and like i said both bands have a distinct sound it's just kind of like a perfect gore grind split i want to bring that across to the listeners so um maybe just talk about that and i don't i don't know if you're in contact with both of those guys or how that came into came into play that split you know and a lot of people sometimes i wonder does the label have more to do with arranging who's on a split or do the two art artists get together you know yeah, I think that can kind of go both ways. I definitely have a couple of bands that have material that would be ready for a split or a couple of people that are like, hey, we've got a few songs. Do you know anyone that's looking? And I just sort of rack my brain to try to, you know, connect people. Um, but this is this one in particular, Andrew hit me up. It was another one where Andrew hit me up. Is like, hey, we have this split. Would you be down to do it? And, um, you know, once, once he told me that Harlan or Hagamoto, you know, I'm a huge fan of Brob, I'm a huge fan of Pantalonis, uh, and Bodies Lay Broken, and, you know, that you used to post on the Relapse board back in the day, so there's that connection. I wasn't familiar with Rip to Shreds at that point. I don't think there's, they definitely weren't as big as they are now. Um, and then that Hypeyama band, those are just real young kids from Montreal. Um, I don't even know if that band's still around. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, it's a perfect split. Like, it's fucking catchy. The recording's great. Um, the you know i got to do the layout on that like i've always wanted to do it like a gore grind layout i didn't do the front cover but i just sort of took what they sent me for their layout and and just redid it in a in a just a scummy way and it was it was a lot of fun a lot of fun to put that together yeah and i just think it's a it's a awesome split uh, absolutely man i wanted to get those two out um particularly you know because the the nature of this podcast uh, you know a lot of the time and while we're on the topic of bands that feature someone who our listeners are probably already familiar with, um, you put out uh, Cognizant, um, Inexor Inexorable Nature of Adversity, 
Um, the I'm gonna say album. It's 16 songs, but it's, it's a grind. It's grindcore, so they can do short albums. But that's a band which, if people don't know, features Brian Fajardo of uh, Noise Ear, PLF, Gridlink. Obviously, a very well well renowned, you know, renowned, well known drummer in the grindcore scene. Um, his most recent project. Uh, I think people kind of are probably going to realize what what they're getting into with that. Um, but but maybe if you want to take over and just talk about that and your relationship with that band. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's like peak, like elite level grindcore. Like those dude, like that's like super hyper technical, but still catchy and, and groovy and super fucking powerful. Um, like their their sort of taste runs parallel with my history like they love ripping corpse they love lethargy they love human remains and that's like that's all stuff that i grew up with you know those are all that's my fucking that's my heart and soul right there so those guys do that to like the nth degree you know they blow that shit out way out in the universe and do like just some of the craziest fucking music ever um but it still has like a lot of heart to it or i don't know what the i don't know what the word is i'm looking for but like groove is not the right word but it, it has that it has that pulse for sure but it's the fucking most technical sick shit ever like it's so good it's it's wild man um a release that kind of uh, well the artwork caught me off guard. i had no idea what to expect from the artwork but it was actually really cool kind of power violence e grind um uh Ona Snop, is that how you pronounce it? Oh, from the yeah. U- from the UK. Yep, yep. Ona Snop. Yeah, Anna, I guess I don't know. I don't Anna, know how to pronounce it either. Yeah, so, yeah. wacky art though. Really, I you know it kind of it almost reminded me of like Bird Flesh, how they have that weird <laughs> cartoonish yep. art. Man, um, caught me off guard, but but a very very cool release. And I feel like once you hear it and you associate the art with it, it, it um. It's, it just has a very wacky, unique package, man. Tell just tell me about that band and um, what was your initial reaction to their artwork and their logo? Were you familiar with their themes and that sort of thing before you put it out, or did you just like get the art artwork one day? Like, all right, man. They did well, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't ever like dictate, yeah, artwork yeah. on anybody. I mean, I'll finesse it to get it to so that it you know fits the standards that I want because I need to show this to like my colleagues. I need to show this as a full catalog to my colleagues and not be embarrassed about it. But there's certainly, I have to find the, the right balance between like underground and like professional, like not looking too slick. Um, but yeah, th- those guys, I think that hooked up through Chapang, uh, because they did their like video during lockdown. They did their international grindcore, whatever, whatever it was called, um, video series where every band recorded a live set in their whatever space they could do. <clears throat> um, and I knew of that band, I think, because I know George's, some of George's other bands, he's like League of Gentlemen. I can't remember all of his bands, but he's been in, he's been around for a while. Um, and their set stuck out because it was really good. It was super tight and tons of energy. And yeah, it was just fucking a tight set. And then I think they went through Chidi's of Chapang and it was like, hey, can you introduce us? And they had a, you know, they had a seven inch worth of material. Would you be down to do it? It's like, yeah, sure. The the artwork was a separate thing. We're like, yeah, we'll send you the artwork. We, I think it's a the illustrators from uh, Australia. Mm. I'm not, I'm not going to remember his name right now, but it's it's in the it's in the record. I have it listed on the Bandcamp too. You can look him up. That guy's fucking awesome. That that art's great. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, again, I'm not trying to imply that it's anything bad or to be embarrassed of. It's oh, just, no, no, not it, at all. Yeah, I'm just, I'm agreeing with you. It's off the wall, though. It's <laughs> it's crazy. It's really I, crazy. I love the logo because every you know all the characters in the logo or whatever. But yeah, it's it's great. Well, that's the the funny part for me is all like the the logo is all these like you know alphabet letters wearing pants. It's kind of like they're all <laughs> their their own character. It's it's cool, man. It's it's cool shit. Um. Now, to you know, to be respectful of your time, obviously, man, you've put out a lot of releases over the years. Um, I'll give you the opportunity at the end to plug and promote anything you got up, uh, you know, upcoming to watch out for or recently. But just do you want to reflect on the label, you know, while we've been talking about these these releases and these more re- recent things? Is there anything else you want to talk about um, that you've put out over the years, or, or you know, any other releases uh, that that come to mind with a story, maybe or something? Man, you're putting me on the spot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I couldn't list every one of them, man. But um, well, the one okay. Well, while we asked about your reaction to things, uh, I had a great reaction when I for the first time I saw the band ESP Mayhem's logo. Oh that, yeah, yeah, that's the best logo uh, ever. Uh, tell me, tell me about that a little bit then. Yeah, yeah. So that's as everyone should know. That's that's one of our friend Christoph's many bands in 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 Australia in in Melbourne. Uh, some of the sickest fucking grindcore on the planet comes from Melbourne. He is, as Joel Stallings once uh, announced, the the greatest grindcore drummer on the planet. Mm. Uh, just a total fucking powerhouse, raw, primitive. May even be. I think he's all one foot blaster, super fast, super crushing. And then of course, ESP Mayhem barely has any. You know, it's got blast beats, but it's totally weird. It's all keyboards, uh, no guitars on that stuff uh just real weird fucking freak out music made by fucking total fucking cavemen fucking yeah animals uh that that artwork's pretty funny i think they had some specific ideas on how they wanted to do like (laughs) a die cut with a window and i had to push back on it because it's like when you have a window you're just gonna see the the paper sleeve of the inside record so why do we have a window other than you just want to have you know like I don't know. We had we came up with a couple couple things. I think that ended up being one of those hand cut one of those things. I ended up having to cut with an exacto knife down the road and have a weird fold and 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 whatever else. But the packaging ended up came out super cool on that one. Yeah, um, yeah, good band, man. I just it's it's an eye catching logo. The listeners can check it out for themselves. The listeners can look up all this stuff. You have um, the Nerve Alter Bandcamp um, and Store Envy, right? Uh yeah, I don't I don't really push the store envy too much. They they take a bunch of fees out of the customers. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna shut that down. I think. Fair enough. So Bandcamp, it's probably Bandcamp's gonna... fine. You know, if you don't want to buy the records, you can you can just download all that shit for free. So just <laughs> check it out. Like I don't I don't give a shit. I just want people to hear these bands. DIY uh, DIY. Um, go ahead. Let me. I'll, I'll I'll go through a couple. I just brought it up just so I can look at it just to remind myself. Um, just because it came up last a couple weeks ago. Uh, my buddy Steinar from Norway was in New York last week, and we finally met in person. People would know him from Parliamentary Sodomy, and I didn't do any Sodomy records, but I did do Sudoku, and I did do a brutal, brutal blues record. Um, and I would highly recommend it. People check out. I I feel like Brutal Blues is a band that really went under the radar. I think because it has such a weird name, like it's not a. It's not a very terrifying name. Mm. So maybe people missed it, but it's like crazy freak out fucking scronky grindcore um that he's on. So if, if you like if you like sodomy, man, that's the shit. 
Steiner is fucking awesome. I'm so happy I got to meet him and hang out. We crushed a bunch of beers together and fucking he's super cool. Uh, that yeah, that's like almost 20 years of email, and we finally get to meet in person. It's great. <laughs> uh, let me think. What else is there? Oh, I should probably talk about fucking stimulant. More more of my fucking homies that live here now. Those are those guys are from Buffalo originally, but they've they've lived here for the last like 10 years. You know, stimulant water torture were a couple labels that really made the label for me. Like those are the first records that really sold a lot of numbers and were, you know, really hyped, hyped records. And those guys are, you know, those guys are my tight fucking family now too. Like I love Ian. I love fucking Tom. You know, that's like another, another example of that label being, you know, doing of the label doing more than just being a label to put out records. That's like become really tight with people over the years. And we've done a fucking shitload of records together. Yeah. I really enjoyed water torture. I remember they had a sick run, maybe like, eight ten years ago or so they were playing a lot of shows and putting out seven inches and stuff man that was a really cool grindcore band yeah they fucked up and put out records with me and then they then they like hit a run of bad luck and broke up but... <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys what are you gonna do man uh yeah i'd say check out stimulant if you like that man it's like way crazy like even crazier like man ian's fucking riffs are insane um yeah I don't know what else. Do you want to? You want to just keep running through? Yeah, man. The 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 the, the floor is yours, man. Yeah. Um, what's some stuff that people missed out on? Oh, you know what I want to talk about real quick is fucking that last Salako record because fucking that's the last recording that's got fucking Lon on it. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Lon. I fucking missed that guy. Um, so I'm super happy that I got to do that. Uh, do that record and it's a great record too. And I feel like Salako is another band that's been around for a million years and kind of gets slept on a little bit but sporadic you know sporadic releases is part of that too so well i while we're on that respectfully um you you being from the area i you know rest in peace to lon i i you know it was it's only been a few few months now i think uh since he passed away uh i only met him a handful of times he was always very nice to me did, did you know him from back in the day up there man was he uh you know a friend of yours i don't know if you want to Maybe, maybe reflect yeah, on we were, him or we were roommates for a long as probably my longest roommate i think we lived together a total over a couple houses we lived together i don't know six years i think five years mm. i forget yeah we we're we we're real tight man that's that was my dude for a long time um yeah him and him and burke i lived with both those guys for a while yeah so i'm sorry for the loss man and to eric too man um uh Sulaco is just a tremendous band and you know people want to check out what uh what Lon was doing uh, musically, man, that's, you know, that that, that last uh, uh, Salako album is definitely a good place to start. Um, yeah, for sure, and dig back through their catalogs. That's, like, an amazing, amazing band by a bunch of amazing people. So. Yeah, I was fortunate to see them um, a few times over the years, man. Great band. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I'm, you know and, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you if there's anything else you want to bring up or any other anecdotes or anything. Man, there's there's probably a ton. I mean, yeah. I started taking to, to Instagram like maybe a year ago and like just to like come up with content because i can't really think of it you know you can't just keep posting hey buy this record so i started going back through i've been going through the catalog by the catalog numbers and like talking about every record and like how it came about what the you know what the conditions were with pressing the vinyl and what the packaging was like and the story behind all that shit um so you could actually dig through if you if you're if you're 
fucking bored out of your skull <laughs> um and you want to listen to some fucking idiot talk about records uh you could dig through that i you know i started picking that up again that's a good compliment to this interview for the listeners if they want to learn more uh, if they want to check out, you check you out on social media, go on Instagram, um, and get you know find out more about more releases. Um, in case you want, but to... again, it makes me realize like, oh yeah, I've known some of these people for a really long, for a really long time. Um, you know, even before the records, but even with the records, and some people I make friends with because we did a record together, and other stuff is like people that I've known for a long ass time, and we finally end up you know putting something out together. Yeah, man. Um... Uh, and, and and speaking of that, man, one one last thing I wanted to bring up before I ask you for music recommendations and and give you opportunity to plug and promote anything you want. Um, we you know as you said before with SVA, you went to school for um, uh, would it be fair to say you know you're a graphic designer? You're in, you're in graphic design, or or you you at least do that? I know in context of underground bands a lot. Yeah, I mean that's sort of like I just do that on my own time, like doing a lot of. Uh, record packaging and like that's part of the label as a, as a hobby too is doing packaging for that i mean for work i do video stuff more more than anything but yeah okay got it well the, the the reason i ask um you're credited with with uh quite a few um graphics uh and design jobs for bands over the years there was a few that stood out that i just wanted to pick your brain about it said you did graphics for dim mock Certainly did. That's that's one people hate me for. Uh, <laughs> that's uh yeah we did we did Knives of Ice which was the first is that the first Willow Tip record? Yeah, I was doing a lot of stuff for for Willow Tip at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then yeah that one, uh you know, fucking Ripping Corpse, greatest band ever. Mm. Uh, Dimock's right up there. I fucking love Dimock. I got to fucking shoot the shit with Scott Ruth. Scott Ruth is very specific about. He he has a color palette for every record. He has um, specific ideas about what he wants to see in the artwork. He is he had everything fucking thought out. Like we had hour hours long conversations on the phone about about artwork. And then yeah, Sean too. I got to I got to you know become internet buddies with Sean Kelly, my my you know my hero. Uh, but yeah, that that's funny because a lot of people used to be, I. There's there's an obituary record that came out around the same time and they look pretty close. <laughs> they look pretty similar. I don't know if the obituary record is. I didn't even know they were still a band at that point. And everyone was like, "Man, you ripped off obituary." Or those are the internet comments you see. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like Scott Scott was the was the art director on that. He asked specifically for for that for you know what what you see is what he wanted, and he yeah. was happy with it. And you know, I met John randomly at a at a show and i was like oh hey man we've emailed go and he thanked me so the band was happy that i'm you know i'm fine with it that was he told me what he wanted so it is what it is all right man um i love that record though that record's fucking amazing great yeah great band dim people should check them out if they don't know fuck yeah um the band the, the band needful things if i'm not mistaken they're from the czech republic yeah. Um, they they just struck me as a little obscure. It's just uh, crazy that you hooked up with them. Um, did you did you did you also did you put out something by them or did I get that wrong? Uh, yeah, there is a split. Um, yeah, there's a split with um with Overviolence that came out a few years ago. Got, okay, okay. And then um, yeah, Otto Otto's a, he's kind of a big deal in the Czech Republic. He's got a, a label that I cannot remember the name of. Uh, but yeah, he does a lot of records over in the Czech Republic. 
and he's in lycanthropy too. So that's that's a pretty big, pretty big European uh, power violence man. Okay, yeah, I just I always um. Truth be told, I remember them doing a split with genital gore uh, way, way back. That was like, that that was for some reason circulated in my local, you know, death metal friends. That uh, that uh, early 2000s or that mid mid 2000s grind scene, Danak and fucking Needful Things and I don't know, you name it, man. Squash Balls. Sweet. That's a sweet era. Yeah. I'm looking up this guy, Otto, now. He was also a longtime member of Malignant Tumor back when they were really good. Yeah. Um, oh, Psycho Control. That's his label, Psycho Control. Okay, man. Yeah, very interested in this now, man. I, I Malignant Tumor took an interesting turn in the late 90s into the 2000s um, where they, they steered away from gore grind and started doing a lot, sounding like a Gothicles. And then now they're doing something even, I, like, I, I don't I'm not even sure what they're up to now. They're doing some kind of, like, rock rock and grind thing or something. I don't know, man, but I... I I do notice that this guy Otto was specifically in the good era, according to me. Um, so that, that's oh, yeah, that's something to take note. Um, all right, regardless. And the last one I just wanted to bring up quickly is you did artwork for Kill the Client, who was pretty much a big deal in the early 2000s. Um, still a big deal, you know, to Grindcore fans, obviously. Um, just wanted to get your, your two cents on what was like working with them on art and graphics. Uh, great. I, I love those guys. I've always loved those guys. Um, I don't, I don't remember how we connected. I know Jody from Calibus played guitar with them for a minute, and how I met them in person. I love that. Um, that first EP, I think, was the demo, the Wage Slave EP. It was that and a demo. I don't remember if they re-recorded the demo or whatever it was. Though that was goes back to the old Relapse Board days too. Those guys were posted on the Relapse Board. They're like, check out our new or new whatever and it was on myspace or whatever the fuck it was and it was kill the client was the new shit it was like uh, very influential to a lot of people and uh the first time i met them was the first maryland death fest i went to when it was in rockville or whatever it was the first year that general surgery played it must have been 2004 or three but those guys saw me i didn't know i didn't know them and someone points at me and goes, are you Aaron? I'm like, yeah, I'm like come with us. And it was kill the client. They're just like, you're with us this whole weekend. <laughs> and just, I've been in the fold ever since, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a willow tip connection. There's a bunch of other connections with those guys. And then, yeah. Uh, Morgan always wanted, wanted me to do artwork. And I think I did art for two records, maybe three. I forget. Um, some of it was a willow. I think the first one was because, it came out on Willow Tip, maybe. Maybe that was what it was. And yeah, I think, you know, Morgan knew knew exactly what he wanted, you know, and I, I delivered it. And then yeah, I think the last one was like, hey, let's try something a little, little different. I'm not super, you know, that last record, the the black and white one, it's pretty weird. It doesn't look like a, a normal record cover, but it's pretty interesting. It came up, you know, whatever. He tattooed it on his foot. So like, <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah, one of my covers on somebody's fucking foot. So that's that's cool. That dude Morgan was intense, bro. Um, he's the yeah, he's he's the man. He was cool, man, but he was definitely intense, man. Tough act, yeah. to, tough act to follow. I'll, I'll for, leave, for leave sure, it that. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, that's that whole. I love Maryland Death Fest. I'm happy for them how successful and how big a venture it's become. 
Um, but when you when you talk about that relapse board camaraderie at the initial early Maryland Death Fest, I wasn't on the relapse board, but at the time when I was in Biolich, I think Dan Olivencia probably was. Um, and so I kind of got you know pipelined, you know, a little bit of the the stuff through there, and you know when we would travel out of state or go to. Mar- you know, we 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 played Maryland Death Fest '04, and you know it, there was there was always people around. There was you know groups of people that would just group up because they knew someone who knew someone who knew who knew the relapse board and th- that sort of thing. There was a different vibe because it was a smaller event, and I'm not trying to take away anything from the modern Maryland Death Fest, please. But but there was there was definitely something uh, that 2004 Maryland Death Fest that was so special because it was still it was a big event but in a very insulated scene you know what I mean man Uh, for sure I mean I I think one of the reasons that I I went you know I went for 12 or 13 years straight and one of the reasons I kept going was because I wasn't touring anymore and that was the one event out of the year that everyone from around the country or, or even Europe we would all show up at and get to hang out for four or five days and it'd be like oh i don't need to you know otherwise i just you know i wasn't touring so i couldn't stay at someone's house for a day or see them at a show or whatever that i would see two or three times a year once a year or whatever that was the one thing and then as the years went on slowly but surely i noticed oh so you know kevin didn't show up this year ryan didn't show up you know whoever's like fuck when am i going to see them again if they're not going to show up to the show and then at some point i was like oh i don't know anyone here anymore and that's you know that's fine that's people can't can't do it forever but for a long time, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But also the other side of that too is some of that relapse board stuff got real clicky that I just didn't want to deal with. Yeah. But I mean, to be fair, like I'm some of my some of my really good friends I made on there, I'm still friends with now, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. And I was able to book fucking almost entire tours through contacts on that board. So yeah, there obviously there's a downside to anything with the internet and, and that sort of thing. But that was that relapse board, it, it was a special time in the underground scene because it was when and I'm going to maybe be at risk of sounding uh you know stuck in my generation saying this but to me it was just like you know we still had one foot in that 90s underground scene where it was very clandestine it was still it was much bigger than it had been but the internet hadn't blown it up to to, to total access everywhere I don't know it just felt like it was still a very more insular underground scene that people even in in more commercial metal markets didn't know anything about but the the Maryland Death Fest was also very like you didn't have something like that back then you know you you had Vakin and whatever else Milwaukee Metal Fest was a huge thing but you but Maryland Death Fest was like our size metal fest for the underground scene you know and now it's just you can't you can't put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste holder you know what i mean death metal and grindcore is just what it is it's it's accessible i'm not going to hate on some kid that was born in 2001 because he got everything on youtube and and file sharing you know it's you know it is what it is but there was something special about that time period just to kind of you know that's my last thought on that you know i mean hey man in 10 years they're going to be complaining about the same thing like yeah we didn't we didn't get grindcore shipped directly into our fucking brain chips through bluetooth (laughs) you know what i mean like whatever whatever it ends up being it's always it's the same it's always the same thing it's totally it's totally cool like i had a great time at that point but yeah i got burned out on fests I think it's American Fest, though, you know, because I've done Jersey Metal Fest, New England Metal Fest, Milwaukee Metal Fest, uh, Maryland for years. And I was like, man, I'm fucking fried. Fests are a bummer. Like, it's just, you know, you're you're fighting against all the elements to see, like, that one band you've wanted to see. 
and then it sounds like shit. Um, but I will say going to obscene extreme hmm. changed my mind. I had so much fun at that festival, and I think it's all down to fucking Cherby's fucking awesome attitude. Cause I realized at the end of it, like that dude's like, there's nothing beneath that guy. He'll do any job. He'll tap beers. He'll fucking drag kegs around. And I think I realized at the end, I was like, Oh, everyone's attitude that works. These, these fests is totally different than any American fest I've ever been to where you're like, you're not fighting with the sound guys. They're, you know, sound guys are happy to see you. Security's not ready to kick your ass. Um, It was just a fucking good time. And I kind of didn't want to leave. Yeah. Um so so I've heard man. I mean, you know, I I think what from what everybody's understanding is is that Europe um kind of specializes in the the metal fest. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, we're we're still trying to play catch up over here, man. It was and, it was a good time, man. I yeah. just think that dude's I think that dude's rad. I think he's doing it right. Yeah. yeah. And and I don't think anyone in a, you know like the Maryland Death Fest or any of these there's been tons of regional death fests that have popped up in the United States. I'm sure there's tons of great ones and great bookers, but just like American culture, the way American economies and cities are set up and everything. It's just, you know, it's a different it's a whole different ball game you know than over in europe too they appreciate this stuff a little bit more over there too from what i understand you know yeah. american sound guys are just grumpy yeah dude oh don't that's a whole nother road we can go down man for sure dude um but uh you know you've been very generous with your time i've had i've had you on here a while man like i said i'll give you the opportunity to plug and promote anything else you got going on um now quickly uh aaron are you because there was one project of yours that was more recent uh writhing mass from 2016 you put out the human capital ep uh on your label on nerve alter um i don't know if you'd say that that is is still active or a solo project you could tell us that but are there any other projects any other music that you're working on currently or i don't know um i mean that's an interesting one because that was that was a what ended up becoming a recording project but that was with jake uh Krager from Triac, one of my favorite drummers ever, one of my favorite people. And then another another person we lost, Monty Huckel, who was in Azra. Um, he was the other guitar player, singer in that band, but sadly we lost him a couple of years ago. <clears throat> um, that was, yeah, that was a project Monty wanted to do. He kept saying, like, let's let's do a band together, let's do a band together. And um, you know, finally he he talked Jake into like, hey, do you want to do a grindcore band uh with me and Aaron? And then, you know, went the other way, goes, hey, I got Jake in. You want to do this band, uh, you know, being being Monty. Um, and then, yeah, we just, Monty and I got together a couple of times, you know, put some riffs together, figured out what, what riffs went together. Jake came down to Brooklyn once or twice, and I think we went down to Baltimore once. And then we recorded with uh, with Kevin at Developing Nations and uh, at his old spot in downtown Baltimore, which was down the street from Sonar. And just yeah, knock that EP out in an afternoon. Um, I mean, it's it actually came out fucking awesome. I'm pretty happy, pretty happy with that. Um, and then happy to have something with Monty too, and, and definitely happy to have something with Jake. Like by far the the best man. I love that kid. Yeah. Um. Sorry, sorry to hear that, man. But it, great, great project that people should go and look up. Um, and and like I said, is there any music you're? I don't I don't know if you have anything to plug or promote now, or where you're at musically, or if you're just focusing on the label. Uh, I mean, I've been focusing on the label. That's just ongoing. I'm like a year. You know, I'm I've got like the next twelve. I've always got the next like six or seven releases in various stages. 
Uh, so that's cool. Like that's a nice position to be in. Maybe not financially, but um, it's nice to nice to have stuff on the regular. Uh, if you're a drummer in New York and you want to play, fucking, you could blast. I'd like to start another grindcore band. That'd be fun. Uh, hit me up. <laughs> Other than that, you know, I've been filling in for Funeral Leech a couple times here and there, so that's fun. Uh, getting that getting that Death Doom fucking trip going. Yeah, shout out to those guys. Um, they've been working hard in the New York scene for a while now. Fuck yeah, sure. they got a they got a new record they just fucking finished that's gonna come out early next year. That's fucking sick. Yeah, man. Um, maybe maybe get those guys in, man. I these these interview every time I do an interview during the course of the conversation, I think of ten more people I, I want to interview. Yeah, I gotta I gotta yeah. step. I got oh no, I got more I gotta do. Yeah. Oh, there's uh, so much time, man. I want I want to get everybody in here, but um, but for tonight, man, we, we you know we had you, Aaron, uh, Aaron. Thank you very much. Um, drummers, hit them up, man. Now, dude, the beauty of it nowadays is there's all these young twenty uh, year old drummers that are finally uh, fill you know filling in for bands. You don't need to have one drummer in twenty bands anymore. Although that still does happen. Yeah, um, if, you're, if you're okay with being in a band with an old creep, then yeah, right. <laughs> I'm I'm in bands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're in bands with people that are close to your age. <laughs> no, my problem is like I keep getting older and older, and the, the drummers are younger and younger. I'm like, I want to keep playing fast. So yeah, bro, I'm 41. My drummer in Reeking Aura is like 20. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Yeah, there you go. There, there's um, uh, shout out to Kenny who is filling in for Exsanguinated. He no, he was 20, and I yeah, I was like, I turned 41 on the tour, man. So yeah, it's it, it, everyone could be the old creepy guy. Not you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know that one for sure. Um, you got more hair than me, man. All right, so so at least you got that going not, for not you. Not by much. Not by much. <laughs> uh, we'll compare. We'll compare. I glass prescriptions next episode all right when i get you back but uh until then um this is the part of the show where i ask every guest to recommend two pieces of music or one a little bit older from back in the day one more recent uh no strict rules metal or otherwise any you know demo album whatever you know yeah i kind of struggle with this one i'll give you the old one first and this is a weird one and it I like it. It's not like the most amazing thing ever, but it just sort of popped back into my life in the last month or two. Uh, Invocator, uh, Weave the Apocalypse from 1991. It's on uh, Blackmark Productions, which is uh, Big Boss's, you know, Bathory uh, dad's label. Uh, it's like, it's it, it's one of those bands, I think, are they like Belgian or something like that? I forget. Um it's one of those bands that sort of in the in the early 90s rode that line between uh the end of thrash and the beginning of death metal so it's like a little a little heavier than thrash but not quite not quite brutal but pretty pretty tech and a killer dan seagrave cover too so yeah i'm looking this up right now it was excursion demise right i don't know we we've the apocalypse we i'm sorry okay um because we we've gotten to the point on this podcast where we've talked about so much music, I I can't go back and like pinpoint an episode. But I think we talked about maybe their first album or I'm, oh really? This up. Damn! All right, I missed it. Well, do, somebody do, I remember years ago someone did the Holy Terror Mind Wars record. I was like, oh, you snagged it. I would have done that one, but yeah, we might. No, I'm not even positive at this point, bro. I, I, I so <laughs> it's it's all good, man. Um, well, definitely something that we gotta go. We gotta go back and check out um is this band and i'm looking at the cover now it's fucking amazing and it doesn't it's not your typical dan seagrave cover either it's there's a oh, it's weird right it's it, it there's like empty negative space in the background and but it's a 
fucking awesome. Interesting color scheme too, man. Okay, yeah, man. I'm not the the vocals are not the best. They're like a little maybe uh, I'm not Pantera, but I don't know. But the music is fucking unreal. <laughs> yeah, some like, of the... it's like most bands. Like I usually don't like the vocals for most bands, for most metal bands. So sometimes those old European bands were really singing from the gut, the gut. <laughs> but it's all good, man. I I mean, listen, listen to my vocals, man. Some people say I sound like a frog or whatever. So it's all good, man. <laughs> it's all subject. It's all uh, subjective. So, um, uh, uh, that was oh, yeah. that was your older one, okay. Yeah, can I can I throw I'm gonna throw two new ones on you because they're both short. Mm-hmm. So it counts as one. Yeah. Uh, and brand new. It just came out. So the Delirient Nerve Contaminated Conscience uh 12 inch just came out like a week ago. Uh Delirient Nerve is probably the fucking uh I'd say number one East Coast grindcore band if it wasn't for Triac, but those fucking dudes rip and that record's sick. That's out on uh, Malakal, and I don't know how to pronounce. I've never said it out loud before. I just realized Malakal Records, M M A L O K U L, uh, out of out of DC. Um, and then I'll give you the other one is my homies from Chicago, Degenerate Synapse. They just put out. Um, they just self released a CD, self titled. Um, it's gonna come out on tape on uh, Anthems of the Undesirable in the future, but the CD's out now. You can just look that up on their band camp. Okay, man. Fair enough. That's, that's like that's like sort of like um they described it to me as like early two thousands death grind, which I'd say is pretty close. Like mm. it would fit up like like Willow Tip era, like that sort of era that we were talking about a Willow Tip. It's it's sort of that era of of of, of death metal. And, and what was each band, uh, the newer bands, what was each band name again, quickly? They're just... almost they're almost the same, so it's easy to get confused. <laughs> Delirient Nerve. Yeah. And Degenerate Synapse. Delirient Nerve and Degenerate Synapse. Degenerate Synapse. That's a cool name. All right, man. I'm definitely going to check those out. I encourage the listeners to. Uh, the listeners by now should know that they should check out Nerve Alter Records. Um, and check out that Instagram if you want a little bit more of a breakdown on the releases and that sort of thing and all the music we just discussed. Um, Aaron, thank you so much, man. You've given me a lot of your time tonight. I'm sure the listeners appreciate it too. Long overdue interview. Um, any parting words for uh, listeners of the music you put out and of your own music that you've made over the years and um, uh, listeners of our podcast? Um, no, other than like whenever Nerve Alter puts out a record, I always kind of notice there's a crew, same crew of people that always order no matter what the record is. And I see you, I, and I appreciate that for sure. It's super cool that people that are going to follow whatever my dumb taste takes you. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, I want to shout out to my buddy Leaf, who has helped me out with, like, packaging stuff and hooking me up with some cheap packaging and stuff like that. And uh, and my buddy Brian, who would help me out receiving uh, fucking giant UPS packages when I wasn't when I was in the office and I wasn't home to accept them. Fair so enough. Thanks, thanks to those guys. Yeah. Thank you, Will. It's nice to catch up. Of course, man. Yeah, great seeing you, man. And um, finally having an in-depth conversation, man. We we always see, you know, everybody everybody who's listening to this podcast has been to those shows where there's tons of beauty. Hey, what's up, man? Okay, you just like move it, like you're trying to get to the bathroom and all that, man. But yeah, glad we got to sit down. That's what this podcast has always been good for over the years, man. Um, so with that being said, man, uh, have a great night, and um, we'll be we'll be watching out for your label. And uh, if you find that drummer.
Right on, man. Thank you. Of course, man. And we'll we'll cut it here, dude. Uh, that was great. Uh, I appreciate your time, man. You gave, you gave me a lot of time, but it's a great story. I think everyone will love it, man. Sweet. I appreciate it. It's good to talk to you, man. Of course, brother. Yeah, hopefully I'll see you in person soon, man. I try, I try to, to get out to the city as much as I can, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was kind of hoping there'd be uh, either, since you're so active, I was hoping there'd be a show in New York, but it sounds like Long Island's popping off this these these days, so. There's there's plenty of places close to home, I'll say that, man. But, you know, um, Vitus is always Vitus, and there's plenty of places in Brooklyn, man, still. So we'll, 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 we'll catch up to you one day or another, man. Right on. All right. I'll see you. Have a good night, bro. Nichols, Nerve Alter Records, all of his projects and bands he's been in uh, through the years. Uh, that, the, a lot of information there. We encourage the listeners to go back and check out the Nerve Alter Records catalog and um, all of Aaron's projects that we talk about, man. A long overdue interview. Uh, Dave, you're still with me, right? I'm still here. Thank you uh, for hanging in, man, because now we got another... Kind of trip down memory lane. I feel like I feel like we're getting getting back into the core of what the Heavy Hole Podcast is all about this episode because I got uh, a heartfelt recommendation for everybody. But I feel like you and I, with the subject matter, especially with the text I sent you earlier today, with the the, the nugget of information I unlocked on Metal Archives. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. We might go on for a little while, so I want to give you the floor. I brought for- my uh, my CD too. I got my my OG. I I can't CD from I, back in the day. I can't tell over the Zoom call if it's a Russian bootleg, so I'm going to assume it's authentic, Dave. Out of Probably. Res- oh yeah, it says instead of JL America, it says JL USSR. Yeah, right. The, I, the um, I, I screwed up. I allegedly have a couple of bootlegs. I think what was the uh, I think Iron D or something was. Uh, let let's, let's let's not speculate. Um, but uh, enough is enough. We'll get to that in a few minutes. You brought in something very fresh. Um. A band that was, rec- I'll let you get to it, but, but a band that was recommended to myself and another friend of mine who's a fairly large individual by a guy working at a record store in upstate New York. He said, you guys should check out Abuse Ritual. They're kind of heavy like your band, but they're big guys like you too. <laughs> That's, can you imagine a world where you only listen to bands that like were in the same like, like weight range as you? <laughs> I mean, I would be set, dude. There's some sick bands. I'm just saying, I'm a pretty big dude, man. I'm like 4X in the Carhartt uh, and the Nordica out yeah, here, you, man. You'd be, I, you'd be good, man. Like it's nothing but Crowbar and like Heavy D yeah. and shit like that. Crowbar, Abuse Ritual, um yeah, I, like there's enough of bad. I don't I don't want to shout people out. Like I'm a big dude, but I don't want to call people out, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, like that there, there's there's enough bands out there, man. My, nowadays 4X is a pretty common accessible size in the death metal community. Shout out to all my merchandisers out there. We'll get you one. Um only going to interview merchandisers that do 4X, by the way. So, um I'm sorry, Dave, for hijacking that though. Uh, uh, go hey, on, no please. Worries. Tell tell the listeners what you told me about. No, that was a that was a great uh, intro. You know, I just being like in the the greater 
I don't want to say upstate New York because that, that makes people angry, but uh, like north of New York City, greater Hudson Valley area, mm. there is not a lot of death metal up here, like in which is surprising given like the lineage of bands that like have come from here. But, uh, you know, I was just like, you know, I follow a bunch of bands from the area and like promoters and venues and stuff like that on like social media. And I was like, I saw a a post about a, a concert that happened this past weekend and, you know, it listed a bunch of bands. And I was like, oh, you know what? I've been meaning to check out that band, uh, Abuse Ritual. So put them on in the car and I was like, I was really expecting it to be a hardcore band because that's just what everything is up here. It's just all hardcore, like, like more so even than Long Island. The Hudson Valley is like very hardcore heavy, but uh, and I was just pleasantly surprised. You know, it's a death metal band from you know somewhere up by me. I don't know where they're from exactly, but uh, I really like you know. I, I just I listened to this this first album of theirs, their self titled one, like a couple of times in the car. It's good stuff. I really would like to to go see them live and pick up a, a CD. But um, you know, it's kind of like. It's not straight up death metal. It's like more like hardcore tinged or hardcore influenced, I think. Like, I think it's more death metal than anything. But, uh, you know, it's got these like plenty of death metal riffs. And then it's got like the hardcore parts and some like, I don't know, maybe like thrash metal parts. It kind of like the mix is like, at least to me, because I don't, I'm not like a hardcore guy. I don't listen to a lot of hardcore. So I don't have like good references for this kind of stuff. But like, it's just good. It was, it was a nice, refreshing mix of, uh, I guess, you know, riffs and writing styles that I don't hear a lot of in modern death metal. Yeah. Um, I appreciate this. It was good hearing them because I did remember uh, more than one or, or two people bringing them up and saying I should check them out. Finally got the opportunity when you brought it to my attention today. Um, great bands. I like which it is definitely like death metal. Like you can tell, there's some hardcore influence. It's not deathcore, you know. It's not like kind of like a like where they take death metal parts and death metal styles and make it into a hardcore band. It's death metal. I would definitely I was, say. Yeah, I was sort of struggling with that at first. I was like, do I not know what I'm talking about? Is it deathcore? Is it like, I don't know. But like, I just I'm not that versed in like the various subgenres, I guess, of hardcore, but. I'm sorry, uh, continue. What were you saying? Well, I was just like, on that note, I, I think like it's gotten to a point now where there's so much death metal in the hardcore scene and so much bleed over that a band like this could just have one foot in each type of scene and play shows with death metal bands or hardcore bands. They are death metal. The way it sounds angry and the way the vocals aren't guttural as much as they are angry, I got a little bit of a deicide vibe if I'm going to draw some sort of comparison maybe. Uh, along with the death metal chops. And there are some more like hardcore influence parts. Like there's a, but you know, don't think deathcore. Don't think metalcore, chug, chug breakdowns. Think like, you know, bands like Carnivore, maybe. Um, like that kind of crossover aspect. I think of like tough, uh, kind of blue collar, um, uh, hardcore influence into death metal with this. You know, it's not deathcore. Yeah. I, I was actually listening to quite a bit of, uh, Carnivore in the last week or so. So I like that's a good, uh, a good reference. But, um, yeah, I, I think I agree with that. You know, it's it was just like like a you could tell the guys listen to a lot of death metal. Like they played like exceptionally well. They're they 
you know, they, they knew their death metal, but there was like other influences that popped in that you're, that just kind of like, for me, who's like very narrow minded musically and stuff, but it was like this, like, I was like, Ooh, that's interesting. Or like, that's, you know, and it wasn't like crazy stuff and they were, they're not like progressive or anything, but they just like, you know, I think there might be like a clean guitar part in one song or some kind of thing, you know, like they, I, I'm not sure what I'm saying, where I'm going here, but uh, yeah, they're a uh, good band, you know, got a lot of energy, probably a lot of the hardcore. I like the, um, in a few parts, they, I don't know if they have two singers or if the one singer is just blaring his vocals, but there was a good, like, it was sort of like a back and forth with like low and high vocals. Did you pick up on that? Um, I, I, I can't recall the part specifically you're talking about, but yeah, it was just like, it's just, it's the kind of stuff that I like, you know, like I like it when bands have like that high and low thing and they kind of like do like, a, like they go back and forth, like sort of like a, if you think like, like early, like dying fetus or yeah. flesh or something. Yeah. Um, it's an impressive band and. I, I think, you know, when you talk about the musicality of it, the clean guitar parts, the, you know, the unexpected twists and turns here and there, that's where I say that it's definitely metal. It's definitely death metal, and the crossover and the hardcore, hardcore parts are more in the attitude, I would say, um, and, the, and the presentation. You know, it's not stripped down. It's not simplified. Um, it's definitely metal. It's, it's a cool fucking angry death metal record that... I think where's some of that hardcore mentality like you were talking about how upstate New York, even though back in the day there was a lot of death metal in the 90s and early 2000s, it was like way, it went way hardcore. And maybe this is like a little bit of that kind of coming to fruition is like some of the death metal history, but it's still wearing a little bit of that hardcore on its sleeve. Um, you know, All Out War kind of came to my mind, too, because All Out War, especially like more recently has been kind of taking some death metal influences. You know what I mean? Like, they were always a metallic hardcore band, but I think All Out War is really crossing over between death metal and hardcore lately, the last few years. Um, this you know, this kind of reminds me of that. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say like that. I'm actually, I've never heard All Out War, believe it or not. I know that they're from, like, a, like someplace upstate, like Poughkeepsie or something like that, but I just never sat down and, like, listened to a full album, so... It's something else that I'm missing out on. It's it's definitely, you know, Abuse Ritual is not, you know, the same band as All Out War. That's not what I'm saying. But I just think maybe there's something similar in Attitude. Um, you know what I mean? That upstate hardcore, but with a death metal, you know, twist thing. I think that, you know, I just think they're using different proportions with the death metal and the hardcore. But they're definitely a cool fucking band. Um, what was the name of the album? It's just self-titled. Okay, got it. Um, no, and it's on, a, the label that it's on is is demons run amok entertainment from huh. germany interesting but uh yeah they i didn't notice if they had a a band camp or anything like that so i i can't say like how how to buy it or anything but you know they're you can definitely buy it on the web from uh germany our list want our listeners are very crafty with the with the technology man they'll get it one way or another allegedly um yeah abuse ritual from upstate new york right Yep, with their self self titled album. Check it out, man. It's cool shit. A band to keep your eye on, I would say too, man. I've, I've been hearing people talk about them locally. Um, wouldn't be surprised if they if they blow up if they if they get out there and play some shows uh, and do the right thing, man. I could definitely see this band blowing up. They just released a new single like in the last couple of weeks, and it's really good. 
Do you know what? Do you remember what the name stuff. is? You remember what the name of it is? I don't. All right, fair enough. New, they got a new single out, uh, and for now, we're gonna play you a clip off of that self-titled album. Thanks, Tom. Um, and now, uh, staying in upstate New York, um, let's have a talk, Dave. I want to talk about, uh, Morpheus Descends. We, um, uh, behind the scenes, we've, uh, we've messaged here and there. I got to seriously reach out and try to get a, one of the members, one of the longtime members of Morpheus Descends on the podcast, maybe to, to shed some light on some of these, um, these things we're going to discuss, but I want to talk about Ritual of Infinity, their debut album, from 1992, um, which originally came out on JL America, but conveniently, um, Dark Descent Records has reissued a whole bunch of their stuff. So um, this Ritual of Infinity is interesting, though, because Chronicles of Shad- Chronicles of the Shadowed Ones, longtime listeners of this podcast know that's one of my all-time favorite releases. It's technically an EP. It's one of my favorite uh, death metal releases ever. I've talked about it several times on the podcast and will continue to, to recommend it. However, I don't think I ever really brought up Ritual of Infinity and talked about it at length. And um, deciding to do so today, I did buy that cassette reissue that Dark Descent put out recently. Um, nice. Yeah, it's good to finally own a copy because there was, there was, it was tough to get some Morpheus Descends official merch on Discogs a few years ago. Um, so it's, it's good to at least have access to that if you want it for your collection. This album was recorded at Legend Studios, Long Island, New York. Even though they're a band from upstate New York, Legend Studios, Long Island, New York, in 1992. Um, This is a studio where Embryonic Deaths, Regurgitate the Dead was recorded, where Afterbirth's Psychopathic Embryotomy demo was recorded, and um, Internal Bleedings, uh, can you help me out? What was that one? Perpetual Degradation. Thank you, uh, was recorded. So this was a little bit of a death metal hotspot at the time. And one of the things I first told you, Dave, is to compare and contrast this to Chronicles of the Shadowed Ones, it's a different band in a way. It's it's Morpheus Descends still. You can hear the same band, but it's a different death metal band. It's a different style in a way. It's a different recording totally. Um, and looking into the the different studios and engineers, I realized it was recorded here on Long Island at that kind of classic studio where so many other death metal, legendary Long Island and uh, New York death metal recordings were recorded at the time. So um, starting off, there is a Morpheus Descends is a band that's always had kind of a, um, a, a lineup that's slightly in flux. There's a few guys that are always like lo- long running members. Uh, Ritual of Infinity ends up being with um, Steve Hansen on guitar and Ken Faggio on bass, who are replaced by the time Chronicles of the Shadowed Ones uh, comes out with uh, Brian Johnston on guitar and Andy Newton on bass. Uh, by the way, rest in peace to Jeff Raymer, uh, longtime vocalist of Morpheus Descends, uh, died in 2005, I should say. 
Um, however, Robert Yench, guitarist, and Sam Inzera, drummer, longtime members of the band, and I feel having a drummer and a guitarist, especially in this band, the drummer, um, really keeps a lot of that sh signature style going. And on Ritual of Infinity, you hear the beginnings of some of that very... Um, trying to describe his drum style. It's fast. It's not bombastic and brutal and explosive. It's almost creepy. It's almost like the black metal guys, how they do those incredibly fast blast beats, and then they, they do fills. And the way it was recorded on Chronicles of the Shadowed Ones makes it sound a little bit more black metal, whereas this is a little bit more of a brutal and heavy death metal release. I even hear parts that remind me more of internal bleeding and... Uh, your, you know, your bands of the time, um, internal bleeding, suffocation, that what might have been going on in 92, whereas on Chronicles, it sounded like maybe, I don't know if it, the engineer could have done that much to it, but uh, it sounds like on Chronicles, they were maybe getting into a more of an atmospheric black metal style. So I want to stop here, Dave, before I talk it to death and maybe get some of your input. Yeah, I, I agree with you on both counts. Um, Chronicles, I think, is more has more of like a... like when incantation does like the doomier slower kind of stuff that's like what that uh album reminds me of or ep and the drummer sam i love his style yeah his uh like, like especially he does those uh there's a lot of parts like it'll be a fast part but he'll just be doing like a sort of like a skank beat or like a i don't know what you call it but like a single bass drum thing that is I just like it. It's like it. I like that that beat. I think it's like very refreshing. It's not like just like a balls to the wall blast beat or something like technically impressive. It's just like a good solid beat. And uh, but yeah, I like I I love these guys. You know, like you, they're uh, I love that their mix of like sort of doomier kind of riffs and like sort of like the chunkier it's not like chugging the way like long island death metal is but like or slam is but it's like it's fucking heavy yeah it's real you know it's real like like chunky and like there's movement to it it's not just like i don't know but uh yeah no nah, man we talked about um uh, disgorged uh, many times on this podcast. Another band that has that upstate chunky, uh, again, like not slammy, but chunky, groovy sound. Upstate had their own way of doing it, which is why I found it interesting that this was recorded on Long Island at Legend Studios, uh, where all those iconic Long Island death metal early recordings were, were done. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm forced to wonder if, you know, maybe they were playing the Roxy at the time or playing some of these Long Island venues. Long Island was a hot spot, and I think people, uh, sometimes forget that. I didn't even realize that it would have been the type of place where a band from upstate would have come down to record their, their debut album. So it's just interesting with that in mind that this was, like, recorded on that, um, in that era, and also that it had a different bass player and guitarist as Chronicles of the Shadowed Ones, which I, of course, didn't realize. I, I didn't do my due diligence and research till today. So just going forward, yeah, this album, there are some, there are a few riffs here that are like more internal bleeding style and more, you know, brutal death metal style, and I felt like they leaned into the atmosphere later on in their career. I'd love to have this conversation again, maybe, Dave, next time you come on, we'll pick another Morpheus Descends album even, because they have... 
there's a lot of their career that in, in my personal experience, my person as a listener was overshadowed by Chronicles because I got it very early on. It was one of the first recordings that uh, my friend Adam Rotella made for me back in the day. And it always was like, it's like a magical, you know, recording for me. So going back and listening to this ritual of infinity today, it was just really cool because it was a little bit more um, in line with the death metal that was coming out in 92. That was brutal. And I felt maybe, Maybe I bared a little bit, this is my own like inference, but you know, bared a little bit more of that Long Island style from the, like I said, you know, the embryonics, embryonic deaths regurgitate the dead, the first afterbirth demo. Um, and, and I, you know, I read, hold on a second, because I also punched up the, the engineer who was on this also has quite the um, pedigree of Long Island and New York death metal. If you'll just bear with me one second here. Um, because it wasn't the guitarist of Inner Strength who also worked at Legend Studio and recorded um, uh, Afterbirth. It was, hold on a second, I got it right here. Is it Bob Vandermark? Yeah, man, it was Bob Vandermark, so you know already. Yeah, I'm looking at the yeah, my, so... my, my Russian re-release <laughs> CD. So, allegedly. Well, so check this out, because he engineered and produced... Um, the accursed, uh, 1993 satanic ritual demo, you know, Satan Jim, um, that's a demo I've talked about quite often on this podcast, uh, underrated original Long Island death metal from back in the day, accursed satanic ritual demo, the curse, uh, crossfade demos, that band crossfade that had us uh, and reissued the last few years. Um, nice. good stuff. Yeah, Embryonic Death, Regurgitate the Dead, like I said. Fatali Fatalator, which um, was a 1993 demo. But get this, Immortal Sufferings uh, demo, um, original demo. He did some mixing, and he engineered the Eternal Damnation demo in 1995. Um, uh, Inner Strength, Beyond Tomorrow, and Shallow Reflections. Uh, like I said, Invocation of Evil by by Internal Bleeding. And he actually recorded uh, Morpheus Descends back when they were known as Morpheus. He recorded their uh, Adiposeer EP and their Corpse Under Glass demo. So they had worked with him before. And also the Perseverance demo from 91. That's kind of an old school Long Island obscure band. But so like this guy, Bob Vandermark, definitely made his mark in the mid to late, in the, through the 90s, I would say. Um, the late 80s and into the 90s in Long Island Metal out of Legend Studios. So just kind of like in addition to recommending Ritual of Infinity um, by Morpheus Descends, also just taking a little peek into this, you know, Legend Studio, not not a world-renowned studio, not a huge, massive catalog of recordings, but when you want to talk about Long Island and New York and East Coast death metal of the early 90s, this Va uh, Bob Vandermark and Legend Studio definitely left left their mark, no pun intended. Um, Dave, any, any other thoughts on this? I was wondering, like when you said it about, like you were wondering like whether or not they, they came down to Long Island and played shows here. And I would really like to, to know more information about that, that era. Cause I sort of feel like, you know, I've seen flyers like Long Island flyers from the, the, that, that era. And I've never seen, uh, like upstate New York bands playing at any shows like like a Morpheus Descends or a I don't know Malamore or anything like that but um I would really be interested to know if if uh you know like the 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 scene was not like separated or partitioned geographically like that you know or if it was or if it was like that 
it might have been a little bit easier to drive in and out of uh, New York City to get on and off Long Island back in the day at that point with traffic and everything. But yeah, um, well, like I said, I'd still have to get a hold of some of these guys who are still with us and interview them and, and touch on this this topic a little bit more. We're going to keep pursuing Morpheus Descends. Um, I had them. I had them on the line, dude. Uh, I had them not on the line, but I had them on the hook for an interview when we first started doing this podcast. And I ended up having, I had like a broken tooth and I had a toothache and I had to cancel the interview and go to the dentist. It was so whack. So I got to reach out to those guys again now that's been a while. Um, but yeah, Morpheus Descends, Ritual of Infinity, originally on JL America, which is a label we discussed at length when we or, when we interviewed Chewy of Organic Infest. Um, uh, kind of a controversial label. Some people had good opinions, some people not so much. So... That being said, yeah, we're um, uh, uh, now available through Dark Descent Records uh, on several formats. man um thank you tom for that and uh yeah so so thank you to aaron nichols um information packed episode dave thank you for taking me on this journey to upstate new york a territory that you know very well um it's uh, it's a nice area we got trees and mountains and death metal it's great yeah like more atmospheric doomy death metal but still brutal with hardcore influences it's a very specific niche um Missing, oh man, missing goat whore right now at, at Vitus because um, I'm home. I have to work tomorrow. I worked all day. Got to do this. Uh, but shout out to those guys. But I wanted to, uh, I'm on nycmetalscene.com, nycmetalscene.com. Friends uh, sometimes from out of state and out of the country tell me they're coming to visit New York City. Are there shows coming up? Where do they go? I say, leave me alone. I say, don't I do enough? I say, isn't there enough going on? Have you, have you ever heard of Google? No, I'm just, I don't say any of that stuff. That would be mean. I instead tell them to check out nycmetalscene.com. Um, not just for New York City, Long Island, the East Coast, different areas upstate. This guy lists all sorts of metal shows, uh, other rock shows, hard rock, different things coming up. But check out, um, we're going to read a few of them for you now. This is going to, there's a pretty death metal weekend coming up. November the 17th, Friday, if you're, if you're listening to this episode in real time as it dropped this morning, Dying Fetus uh, is playing um, at Warsaw in Brooklyn, New York with uh, Make Them Beg for Death. I don't, is Make, Make Them Beg for Death Wait. could also be a Dying Fetus album title. I think that's the name of their album. Yeah. All right. So maybe that, yeah, maybe somebody that, listed weird. this wrong. I could definitely see a band just instantly naming themselves after that, though. But never mind. So Dying Fetus, uh, Warsaw in Brooklyn, New York. Also, at the Meadows in Brooklyn, New York, Phobocosm, uh, Sackage, Blackhurst, Heretic Body Hammer. Um, Phobocosm, though, great band. Heretic Body Hammer I've heard of, too. I'm trying to think where somebody somebody was telling me about them. That's a great name. Uh, crazy name. I don't know name. what it means, but... And Phobocosm is great. I really uh, I liked them. I didn't know that they were playing. I'm not going to go to the show, but I'm just like, didn't realize they were playing. 
This is a ignorant show coming up. Saturday, November 18th, 2023, Gutter Christ presents Waking the Cadaver, Cognitive, Nuclear Remains, Psycho Enhanced, Psycho Enhancers Back, Threat to Society, Weeping, Weeping is Brutal Live, Bleed at Salty's Beach Bar in Belmar, New Jersey. Um, also in New Jersey, Saturday, November 18th, Crown of Thorns, Train of Thought, Downfall, Choice to Make, and Cut Down at Dingbats uh, in Clifton, New Jersey. Um, Saturday, November 18th in Brooklyn, New York at Brooklyn Monarch. Full of Hell is back in town. Uh, Full of Hell with End uh, and Wake at Brooklyn Monarch in Brooklyn, New York. Um, also As Friends Rust, Calling Hours, Bind at St. Vitus. And, uh, now here's the real thing. Saturday, November 18th. You're going to those shows if you didn't get a ticket to Botch, Converge, and Cave in a Starland Ballroom in Sayreville, New Jersey, Saturday, November 18th, which I didn't. I, I didn't get a ticket to that. Uh, what are you a Botch guy, Dave? You know, I just actually heard Botch for the first time pretty recently, and I liked him. And, and a buddy of mine actually had tickets, and we were uh, supposed to go to one of the shows this past weekend in New York. And I completely forgot about it, and I think he worked until like 6 o'clock in the morning that day. And so he just like slept through the whole thing, and oh I God. forgot about it, so we didn't do it. But um, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed, but... Since I don't have a, much of a connection to the band, I I'm also not disappointed. I know you, uh, the well, you guys and like Biolich, I think were really into yeah, the back of the yeah. day, right? There's a lot of listeners who want to strangle you right now, as a result yeah. of that story. Yeah. Um, squandering, getting a long-awaited opportunity. <laughs> I'm just bust, dude. I didn't even try. I, a few years ago, I would have. I just can't. I, I got. I would have to drive out to the city or New Jersey and then drive home, go to work the next day. I'm just. I could, dude. I got all this shit going on at home. We've been remodeling the fucking house. I'm. You know, f- I, I, that's actually what what inspired me to to listen to local bands, a la um, Abuse Ritual. Is just the fact that. <laughs> I know that if I went to 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 one of their shows up here, I wouldn't need to look for parking. Whoa, big look right there! I like it. I like it. That's why you guys stick to the Long Island shows if you're already out here, man. The parking's only getting worse in New York City, bro. Uh, shout out to all my city people, man. We'll be out there soon enough. I got a couple of shows to tell you about. But Saturday, November the twenty fifth, Barely Breathing presents Anal Birth's record release. Uh, you can go back. We had Adam from Anal Birth co-host um, uh, an episode around Halloween time and do a special bonus Halloween episode. We talked about that new Anal Birth album uh, with Bowel Erosion, Charcuterie, Bait Lam, and Aroma at Mr. Beery's in Bethpage, New York. That is a, um, excuse me, matinee show. Coffee coming back at me, thinking about anal birth. Uh, that is a matinee show at 2 p.m. at Mr. Beery's, November the 25th, 2023. The anal birth record release show with bowel erosion, charcuterie, bait, lime, and aroma. Check out our episode with charcuterie. Interviewed them a few weeks ago. Um is that oh, Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving weekend? Thanksgiving weekend. I'll be. Oh. I'll have a full 48 hours to recover from Thanksgiving dinner before getting on that sweaty hot stage. Thank goodness. Um, and if you have a, but, but for those of you who do, now we talked about the anal birth and bowel erosion and shark for those of you who do have a college education, I wouldn't be caught dead at such a lowbrow event Saturday, November the 25th. We also have ulcerate 
Alters, Titans to Tachyons at St. Vitus in Brooklyn, New York. That starts at 6.30, so you could theoretically catch both shows, actually, those days. So you could, um, yeah, just make, just, just, just make sure you, like, put on a pair of fake glasses and tuck your pants in a little bit. You know, you don't want to. You know, you, for the Ulcerate show, you also, you have to show your college diploma to get in. Yeah. You're, you're, so it's, it's a well-known thing with uh, Ulcerate. Community college not accepted. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm really not mad at them. I'm mad at people I know who like them. So <laughs> moving forward, um, uh, what else we got, man? We got a whole bunch of fucking shows coming up. Check them out on NYCMetalScene.com. Tuesday, November 28th, Cattle Decapitation and Immolation at Brooklyn Bowl in Philadelphia, PA. Why is it called Brooklyn Bowl and it's in Philadelphia, PA? That threw me off. I'm not that. That's shout out to my Philly people. That's a little funny. I don't know. Some really stupid uh, franchising, I think. Oh boy! First, for, yeah, because Brooklyn Bowl is a New York thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's a it's like a bowling alley, I think, in 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 Williamsburg or something. All right, I don't want to I don't want to split hairs with these people. They probably got better lawyers than me. Um, I kind of do. I want to I want to get into it, man. Well, like, wouldn't you call it like Philly Bowl? At that point, or something, you know, if you had a head on your shoulders, you would, because, because you're right. Like it's like, if it's, you don't, like, yeah, like it's Brooklyn Bowl. It's in yeah. Brooklyn. I don't think there's a Brooklyn, like a neighborhood called Brooklyn in Philly. You should call it like Philly Bowl. Yeah, have like the the bowling part or yeah. something be the commonality. Yeah, the, between the common link. Not 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 the fact that it's from Brooklyn cuz Philly there's Brooklyn is not in Philadelphia. Yeah, well-known fact about Brooklyn. Mm. Not not in Philly. Yeah, some that's for our listeners uh in case you didn't know that's a fun fact. Brooklyn is Geography not in Philadelphia. 101. Oh boy, I wish them well. Listen, Phil Tuga from Canada coming down Wednesday, November the 29th, you got first fragment and Invicta at the Kingsland in Brooklyn, New York. All right, tough guy. Uh, Cattle Decap and Immolation are going to be in Boston up at the Brighton Music Hall November 29th. Now, this is a good one. If I'm going to go out to New York City after work, drive through two hours of 10-mile-an-hour traffic uh, that spans about 40 miles, then drive an additional half hour of circling blocks to park, um, then, all right, I'll, the, 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 I'm going to probably, this would be the, and then drive home to go get up early for work the next day. This is the one jarhead fertilizer, phobophilic and backslider at St. Vitus in Brooklyn, New York, uh, Wednesday, November the 29th. That is a lineup. That is Hey, buddy. <laughs> all right. Everyone's saying good night. Good night, guys. Not not the listeners. Dave's Dave's saying goodnight to his cat and his family. This, this, is, a, this is a touching heavy whole podcast moment right here. It's for the kids. It's for the family. Um the other Sorry, day listeners, I'm gonna put them back in the trunk of the car when I'm <laughs> when we're done with this episode. <laughs> Hold on, I didn't get to the Gravesend uh plug yet. Um uh, we can, but yeah, but listen, as I was saying, jarhead fertilizer, phobophilic, and backslide. You can't get bored at that show. Uh, you know, each band brings something different to the table. I love that's a beautiful tour. Jarhead Fertilizer, Phobophilic, Backslider at St. Vitus in Brooklyn, uh, Wednesday, November the 29th. That's a slamming show. I like that. That's, a, that's an amazing lineup, yes. actually. I, I, I didn't know about that, but Backslider is fucking incredible. Uh huh. You know, Jarhead Fertilizer, I saw them like a year or two ago, and they blew my mind. And uh, 
I'm not sure, but what was the, the third band? Jarhead Fertilite, Phobophilic. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with them, but uh, the, that, the other two bands are, are are worth the money regardless. So like a Phobo, third band that's good. Phobophilic, peep their album that they put out last year. Well oh, worth, well worth a spin. Oh, are, um, are they? Are they? The, they they kind of like a demlick feel to it. Yes, yes, yes. yes right. Indeed. Yeah, I've, I've not heard an album, but I've, I've heard of the the band. Give it, give it a spin. Give it a spin. I interviewed their drummer, Vinny. Nice guy. Um, nice. speaking of people with college education. Um, all right. Uh, but yeah, and, and also I, I I said I was gonna plug. Um, what do you got? The old uh, Gravesend Command innumerable forms at TVI in Brooklyn, New York, Thursday, November thirtieth. Uh, and we just mentioned Funeral Leech when we were talking to Aaron Nichols today. Friday, de- December 1st, 2023, Command and Funeral Leech at St. Vitus in Brooklyn, New York. I'm going to wrap it up there. If you want some more shows, there's tons of shows. Uh, NYCMetalScene.com. He's got all the shows listed. As you can see, not just New York down to Philadelphia and different parts of the East Coast and Long Island. Also, um, we're going to be at Dingbats with Reeking Aura. We're going to be performing um, December the 7th. That's a Thursday um, at Dingbats. Ooh. I'm sorry. Sorry. Is, is there, if anyone is opposed to the show, you could speak up now. You got the, that other bass player guy. Jeez. I know. this. I'm bringing up like a, a weird yeah. a weird topic. Well, actually, our... Our quote unquote real bass player is playing this one. We're not Ooh. we're not subcontracting this one out. That's the thing. We gotta ask the guy who's on the album to do the shows before we just like get Dave to do it. Um you just pick random people out of the crowd. <laughs> it's getting it's like gonna no one gives a shit about bass. Come on up. If you have any more kids, it's gonna be that way. Um but listen, uh if, if our bass player has any more kids, it's gonna be all that's the problem. All these bass players got kids, bro. What's going on? We're we're very virile, you know. Yeah, it's like, like oh. I, I had a coworker ask me the other day, "Will, how come you don't have any kids?" I said, "Condoms." Like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Listen, Thursday, December seventh, Gutter Christ presents Mortician, Reeking Aura, Chain to the Dead, Lobotomizer, all ages show. Doors at eight p.m. Twenty five dollar tickets, thirties at the door, thirty dollars at the door. So get those tickets up front. All is taking place at Dingbats Thursday, December seventh. Then our tour with Mortician continues because technically it's more than one show. The next day, um, Reeking Aura, Immortal Suffering, Malignancy, and Mortician, December the eighth at live at St. Vitus, six thirty p.m. Eighteen and over this time. So if the kids can go check us out in Jersey, the adults check us out 18 and over at Vitus the next day. That's December 7th in Jersey, December 8th uh, at St. Vitus in New York, Reeking Aura, out here all day. Fuck the other side. Um, Dave, I will get you on the door for either of those shows for your troubles and quandaries and pent-up resentment and frustration towards Tom Andrew. i got to be honest, I, w- I won't go. <sighs> Nothing personal. I'm just lazy. Uh, it's going to be like in the dark night where the Joker makes the two henchmen fight each other to determine who will be on his team. I'm going to break a, a pool cue in half. I'm going to break a bass guitar in half and you and Tom Ander are going to have to fight each other to the death. Man, he's such a nice guy. I, I wouldn't want to fight him. He's probably, he's probably a better fighter than I am too. Mm, well, we're going to find out. Um, let's, let's find out. So, um, in the words of another controversial bass player, let's find out. No, let's not go there. 
Uh, but yeah, that that about wraps it up, man. We got some stuff on Patreon. I had to cut some. Dave got a little spicy tonight. I had to cut something he said out and throw it on the old Patreon. Um, Dave wilding out here, bringing back, trying to re- rehash old beefs. Um, looking looking to squabble at the show. I love beef. Oh yeah, uh, beefaroni over here. Um, yeah, we got the Patreon, heavyholepodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail. The number should be wherever you're listening to this in the description. Um, leave us your hopes, your dreams, your recommendations, what you're listening to. Did you go to a show lately? Do you not go to shows anymore? Do you wash your hands at shows after you pee? Uh, leave us a voicemail. Maybe we want to know. Maybe we don't. Heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. Also, check us out on the old social medias out there. We got some more episodes coming up. I'm working very hard. Uh, to bring you guys um, uh, some more uh, holiday bonus episodes and Patreon content. We're going to get it going through the year, man. Dave, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Of course. Much appreciated. Um, I think by the next time I get you on, I'm going to grow out my beard, and we're both going to wear Carhartt Rain Defender hoodies and just talk about upstate New York death metal that has hardcore influences. They got to be camouflage, though. Yeah, camouflage trucker hat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That the hat has to be camouflage. Everything else has to be regular yeah. color. I don't know. Yeah. I'm gonna be taking the zoom call from a John Deere um little the, the like the the John Deere golf carts that you use when you have like acres of property. I'm gonna just drive it up and down my driveway here. Cause I only We cause... should we, we should do that. We'll just find like a forest somewhere and just like we'll we'll rent a golf cart or like a whatever those things are called and just record while we're driving back and forth we're on long islands we're on long island it's got to be fairly easy to do that well you're on long island oh (laughs) you're on long island at heart you guys all move off of long island and act like you don't know what it's all about man you guys grew up here stop playing shout to all of our displaced shout to all of our long island uh uh um displaced uh uh ex-residents out there man one day you're all gonna move back one day the rest of the country is going to sink and it's just going to be Long Island out here and everybody's going to come crying back to Huntington Station and Plainview that's, and everywhere else. That's exactly how this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me go, Dave. I'm. I, uh, I, what, what's that? I, I, I do miss Long Island, man. I love, like, the shit. I don't know. I don't know. what It's like everything. The shows are cool. The, the people are cool. Uh, yeah, some of the You know what, man? You can't judge. You know, Long Island's... There's like, uh, there are a lot of cool people on Long Island, but it's like, you know, you, the, the not cool ones are kind of in your face about it. <laughs> so that's what, that's what people remember. Yeah. Like I love people from Long Island, but I also hate people from Long Island. It just, it depends on the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. My advice, take the train. Don't even drive. Traffic is so, oh yeah. God, there's only two speeds on Long Island, too fast and too slow. But listen, uh, when it comes to rants about my love and hate relationship with Long Island, I don't even have time to go on another one. <laughs> <laughs>